This episode of Classically Black Podcast is sponsored by Unclassified. Unclassified curates plays for the curious classical listener. Whether you're wanting to cozy up with a good book to Coleridge Taylor. Or get into a productive mood with Debussy. I'm sure they threw this in because they knew we can't stand Debussy. Got to be. (laughs) (laughs) You can stream the perfect playlist for any moment. Learn more at unclassified.com. Delaney. and it's katie and this is classically black podcast where we talk all things classical music and being black in the profession with trap beats playing in the big bag busting out the bentley bentega man balenciaga barty back and oil <laughs> it's wow. big bag busting out the bentley bentega man birkin back barty back and oil if it's up that is up that is Uh-oh. up that is the oh period the police did that she did that she did wow. that. I don't care. She went crazy on that song. We stand an alliteration queen and Period. we will bow down. And Not we will respect. <laughs> I mean, who it among is, us? Yeah. It's <laughs> Period. And background, I was like, you know what? Cardi wrote that for me. Okay. <laughs> well, um, might as well get right to it because it's might as well. Yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be a long episode. It's gonna be a long episode description. I wrote the episode description. I was like, jeez. I don't know mm-hmm. if people actually be in there, but it's a lot of stuff in there this week. So, um, yeah. So, the news this week. I just want to flag a couple of things that we're doing. Um, our alma mater, uh, Eastman, as well as the uh, University of Michigan School of Music, Theater, and Dance. Um, they're collaborating on a three-part online series called disruption action change um, where five performing artists change makers um will discuss the role of disruption as an essential force in pursuit of a more just and equitable arts ecosystem so this is going to be a yeah like i said a three-part series it's culminated by an episode of classically black that will be coming out in april so it's a long you know way away but they are uh accepting applications Garrett will be speaking so you know we always got shout out of Garrett speaking um all right y'all go learn something that part um yeah we'll be we'll be kind of tying everything together with a nice little bow so if you're interested in attending that I think there will be like recordings done after so you don't need to like be there at the time things are happening um this is going to be starting by the time this episode comes out it'll be next week um it'll be like there's blog posts and video things happening so i think the blog post will go live um next week uh so yeah that's that i'll put the link in the description for you guys to uh register if you if you want to do that and if not you will hear the episode here in april (laughs) so yeah uh secondly we were recently on opera offstage uh podcast talking about well, we were talking about, you know, uh, it was a Black History Month episode. We were talking about um, people that we think are Black and excellent, some opera singers, some not, um, and also just discussing classically Black 
Um, so if you've been a, a long time classically black listener, you probably have known all of that stuff. But uh, yeah, that's that. I will link the description. Uh, go check out their website. Their website is gorgeous. I was like, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, and then last but not least, I wanted to. There's a lot of stuff that's like kind of long winded, and so I was like, I'm not going to, um, you know, do too much and put all that stuff in the same episode, especially not this one. I mean, because it's, <laughs> because I don't know what the what the little bar gonna be on this episode but I already know it's gonna be too much she thick <laughs> um but yeah there was a little bit of twitter drama in the classical music world this whole episode's drama but whatever um about uh two set violin which we voiced our opinions on two set violin in the past y'all already know how we feel about that situation um but um a music theory professor who was kind of, like, kind of uh you know popular on twitter on like music theory musicology twitter um they used one of his tweets in their videos in one of their videos and he posted it he was like gross um (laughs) (laughs) something like that and so you know of course that's like the whole thing and people someone asked like a genuine question because some people don't know what's wrong with them like some people especially if you haven't seen like multiple things some people may just think they're not funny or some people just think it's harmless but there are certain videos that are more problematic than others so if you think um, they're harmless as a whole that just means that you have internalized how problematic this field is because they exasperate things that are problematic in this field there's no yeah. way you could think they are harmless I'm just talking about if you have not seen their if you think this is a classical oh, music violin you've or, never seen oh I see what you're saying like you've never yeah. seen them you just see them around yeah right and oh. um so she asked she was like oh genuine question like what do you what don't you like about two set violin and so he creates this tweet saying well he doesn't like he includes a clip of their video the rap versus classical video where they're basically um like poking fun at rap music um there there's a whole situation basically it's problematic um they're making it seem like rap is like super super simple in comparison to classical music but they're like manipulating it in a way like playing it purposely playing it badly um to make it sound like you know like a beginner is playing it when you're doing all this elaborate stuff when you're playing classical music you literally can't find elaborate rap music whatever so he posts that video and he says yeah this is the reason why he creates a little thread the army of 12 year olds that stand <laughs> when i tell you they have actual stands they have people who have entire twitter accounts dedicated to them like Yikes. fan accounts like multiple like every tweet is about them profile pictures them bios them. like i was that's amazing to me i i was in awe i was like, <laughs> i was like wow that is crazy and they just came attacking he was getting dms talking about you're a fucking asshole and what the and yeah <laughs> girl if you gonna go log in a six period <laughs> like bro they were like someone's like i'm really disappointed in you truly i'm like what a girl ma'am he does not know you <laughs> and he never um, will it it won't like um yeah and they were doing this thing so like if you quote someone from a private account on twitter like they can't see what you're saying about them so they were like mass quoting people's tweets like privately and and saying things and stuff some of them were like in the in the replies and everything and they were doing that to they were doing that to him they were doing that to me and a couple other people and i had to realize i I was like yeah a lot of these people are like actual children 
mm-hmm. and you come across and especially like I, I there's a bunch of stuff i used to think family guy was funny so <laughs> you know like mm-hmm. like some of the stuff they some of them i mean a vast majority of them in my opinion probably won't grow out of it but like at the same time i'm not fighting with kids on twitter i'm not fighting with anybody on twitter literally so like um yeah but it was just it was just crazy it's actually amazing to see but there's also some good like discussion around it so i'm gonna link the initial the tweet that that you know sparked everything it has like s- almost 700 likes and like all this stuff it was and it's just so crazy how how seriously people take this violent duo that they're literally like sending people threatening dms and and, and whatnot I'm I like, mean, they're huge, right? Let me look how many subscribers do they have. Yeah, they have three million subscribers. They're huge, yeah. And that's why you but will never I just don't think it's that serious, bro. Yeah. But I can see why they have stands. If they're that big. <laughs> if they're that big, like there's this girl on Twitter named Lele or something like that, or simply her ad is like simply Lay. She got stand accounts because she's under her her claim to fame is that she's under every tweet. Like any viral tweet, you go into replies and and she's under there with like she'll reply or something i think it's hilarious i follow her and under every viral tweet lay will be underneath that tweet and like so there's an account that is like i don't know it's like summarizing lay's tweets or whatever oh yeah the explaining yeah explain yeah Yeah, so i mean if she has stands then i mean yeah like when i saw how many subscribers they had i said i like i get like the numbers it makes sense but i'm just like bro i don't see why their content has it but i can see why they have stan account especially like they they appeal to children you know like i feel like middle school children would love them early high school well yeah so that was the drama going on on twitter hate that for us but yeah trying to keep it concise because again this episode so moving on yep all right, y'all. So it's time for the intermission, and we join with Doctor Almost uh, Reichard. <laughs> uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll introduce him later. Uh, but he, you, yeah. you've been here before, so well, we made this mistake when we, when we were with Joey. We did the whole intermission, didn't we? And then at the topic, we were like, "Oh, nobody knows who you are." <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe we should then. You want to introduce yourself, Richie? Yeah. Uh, hi, everybody. Um, I'm guessing the whole world is listening since y'all got a million followers now. <laughs> let's not um, (laughs) but no i'm richard desinord i'm a uh theory professor at howard university i'm also finishing a phd at the eastman school of music um and music theory Uh, my research interests include neo soul music uh contemporary gospel um but i do still like classical music so yeah i was on live with (laughs) i was on live with kika this week and she was like so why classical music (laughs) <laughs> crickets i was like in front of all these people i don't know <laughs> why do you what make what makes you stay committed i'm like girl the bill from eastman got you <laughs> okay. this degree is not a vein <laughs> could hate the junk we showing up <laughs> um so we're gonna do a little intermission so one thing that uh i like to make fun of richard for I'll be saying like he is an undercover influencer because he has no social media footprint. Nope. Does it don't don't even have a picture as his email avatar. No. Like I do have a picture. Richard. Yes, I do. It, <laughs> a picture of what? Very, what is it? Cla- it's a very classy duck. 
with the monocle. Let's call it a Maynard or something like that, but a very classy duck. So, no. And he got a monocle? Nah. And a top hat. (laughs) (laughs) What are we doing? (laughs) So, we're going to play a little game. Uh, I thought since Richard doesn't have social media, he's not up to the shenanigans on social media. So, I'm going to tell you about some recent events that have happened on Blue Ivy's internet. And you are going to liken them to something that has happened to you at music school or something that you can imagine happening. And it could just be, it can be correlated since it's like, these are like actual events. It can be correlated in any way. Delaney's giving me a face. So let me explain. <laughs> I also haven't thought these through. So I tried, tried to be fair. I, like I didn't have to get time to think it through anyway. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna give you an example. <clears throat> All right. Have you heard of Gorilla Glue Girl? Yes, I have. Okay. So for people who don't know about Gorilla Glue Girl, basically, she slicked her pony to a punto good, too. I wasn't finna hold it. I was like, come on, yes, ma'am. She looks but... like a, a wee avatar. That thing was <laughs> slicked down. So shiny. <laughs> it was shiny, but it looked good. The she wig lady be with her edges. I feel like I can't put that past it. I mean, I would. I would not the Gorilla Glue. <laughs> Because I do like my hair, but if I can, I've never been able to get my ponytail that flat because my hair gives up in the middle. It's mm. just gonna be, yeah, like a. What do you like? You know the peanuts from uh the peanuts from the Proud family from the Proud family. <laughs> the Proud family pony- movie Universal people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that. That's how my ponytails be looking because it just gives up. It's too it's too thick back there, so. Something that I would, uh, okay, so she slicked her hair down with Gorilla Glue, couldn't wash it out, because literally, you can build a tree house with Gorilla Glue, so, <laughs> um, and it was this whole thing, and then she ended up getting a doctor helped her, so I would akin that to, remember, so when I recital, I had a ponytail on, I, I slicked the ponytail, had a ponytail off, what if that jump fell off, like, in the middle of the second movement, that's what we're going, that's the game we're going to play, Okay. Oh, that's what I gotta do. Just akin it to something that's happened or potentially could happen in the classical music. Board, in classical or just music. in music school, or or something that's happened to you personally. Okay. Okay. Here's the first one. Michelle Obama was the best dress at the inauguration. This is not a debate. What is an event where, or some, something that's happened to you, or something you can imagine where someone outshines your outfit in classical music? I'll cut out pauses if it takes too long. No, I was going to say, I don't, I'm trying to think if that ever, ever happened because most of the time we all wearing the same thing. We either wearing all black or wearing the tux. So it's like, how is somebody going to really outshine it? Unless it's the conductor, if he got like the little, the little penguin tail on the end or whatever they call that. So if he being fancy with that. But yeah, I can't think of a, a time somebody in classical music like showed me up because like I said, we all wearing all black. Or wearing them dusty tuxedos you get out the, the closet. And y'all got to wear them dresses, the girls. So, yeah, I can't think of anything. I mean, I can I, tell that. I'll go ahead, Delaney. I was going to say, one thing I guess that comes to mind is, like, gateways. You know you're going to see... Gateways, some... I got dressed the first year. I, I was <laughs> you up. Katie, Katie was going to the... She was going to the Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> because the first year... That's exactly what I was thinking. I was gonna say it's it's weird that like Richard has like a different uh point of departure because it's like y'all wear tuxedos, that's what y'all do. But I I always I often get outdressed at orchestra concerts because I always yeah. I'm I'm trying to come out of that because it's like 
for me, I just don't see the point. We're all wearing a sea of black. Like, I, I never do makeup for an orchestra concert. I never, I just, like, we all here wearing black. And I kind of want to get out of that because it's like, yo, we kind of, you know, this is like, especially like the stakes are getting higher for me. So it's like, why don't I just look nicer? I'm not going to come. One thing about me, I'm going to come with my edges on. You know, my, I'm going to have edges on, you know, but. <laughs> Toothbrush in your case. I mean, I was telling, I gotta tell you off the off the mics about my student Corlista who used to swoop her edges uh, before my orchestra class when I taught public school. Um, but the first year at Gateways, I wore black pants and a long sleeve, plain black shirt, and I was under. Go. I was under like uncomfortably underdressed because Leslie next to me in a gown. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Jennifer there, gown. I'm in black pants. Black pants and a long sleeve, plain black shirt. I was underdressed. Under. I'm sure, but I was I'm even. Sure it was fine. I mean, I'm sure it was, but I just. I, nah, I think bro. It's different for women, though, because y'all, like, like I said, for guys, we just wear, like, a suit, like a tux. Like, it's hard to just, unless it's fitted or something like that. Like, it's hard yeah. to make it look yeah, like a different way, but. Yeah, y'all be having, like, I be seeing people up there with, like, sequins and all this stuff. Yeah. Like yeah. This like, woman, she had, this was Literally. in that gateways, but she had, like, a slit all up the side with some tall heels on. I was like, dang, sis. Going off for uh, what? You in the back? That's the thing. That's why I have to, like, unthink that, because it's like, I'm, in, I'm literally last desk. We all <laughs> playing the same thing. Can't see me. Only see my hair. You know what I'm saying? I'm just like, what's the point? But I want to, like, I want to broaden my orchestra orchestra wardrobe because, you know, I want to try to care a little bit, but um, I just don't see the point of that. Okay. The second one is, did you hear about the baby and Jojo Siwa? Oh, Lord, what? <laughs> I, those two I... are the same sentence. It's just... <laughs> okay. Go ahead, though. That's tight. All right. So... So I thought the same thing too. So basically, the baby came out with a song. You know, the baby and Moneybag Yo. Okay, actually, Moneybag Yo is off the off the off the table for now. Mm-hmm. But I'm gonna stop standing these people out loud and in public because I feel like the minute I say their name, the next week they do something problematic. Like I have gone to bat for the baby through and through every controversy, everything. I'm like, you know what? It's fine. The apple juice, like, he was defending, like, whatever, whatever. And then it just keeps getting out of hand. But basically, he dropped a song, a freestyle on the Beatbox remix. And, um, <laughs> okay. So the line goes, ooh, okay. The line goes, N, you know what that means. You will be, Jojo C will be, she let the wrong N get rich. So, and then in the music video, he held up a picture of Jojo Siwa. So the internet, the internet was like, I mean, because me included, I'm, I'm, I'm scrolling through the comments like, someone defend, someone defend my man, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and basically, people were saying like, oh, his name is Jonathan. It was a play on words, and it's no, no doubt, it's a play on words. Like we know it's a play on words. Why would he come for a 17 year old? You know, that line before that, what do he say? C Y. And yeah, see why? Yeah, yeah, that's the rhyme. And people were like, "It would have been better if you just found any other person, <laughs> like any other person, because she's a child, like she's a little yeah. child." Um, so I want you to tell me about a time where somebody 
at your music school or someone in power above you slipped up and said the wrong thing? I had uh, a professor I knew. I had him. This is not somebody that was like, you know, I had to go to for my work or something. It was just like somebody I knew. I was like, yeah, I wrote this thing. I just wanted you to take a look at it. It was, it was like me trying to formulate an idea for this project. And he said, yeah, I'll look at it overnight. And then the next day he called me and he was like, yeah, I looked at it. If you want to come meet? I was like, cool. So I go in his office and he was like, yeah, pull up a chair. And then he's holding the paper and then he he has this line highlighted in there. He points to it. And and I was like, oh, what? And he's like, you wrote this? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, yeah, that's good. And I was like, what do you mean? And he was basically like almost surprised that I wrote a sentence well. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, uh, nah. Like that's, that's <laughs> one that comes to mind like immediately. Like, mm-hmm. And this is somebody that I respect. I still, you know, I would say I still respect him as a professor, but it was just like, like what are you talking about? Like, right. you really let that come out of your mouth, and you've already known me for a minute. Like, it's not like I was, you know, playing with, like, you know, kids' blocks or something, like a, <laughs> one of them machines where you get to hear the sound move and stuff like that. And okay. Like, Today I'm writing an essay. Okay. Man. You know what I can do. So, yeah, that, that <clears throat> caught me off guard. I was just like, and then the rest of the meeting was fine, but it was just like, well, all right. Thought I couldn't write. So, all right, cool. So, that's mine. You don't want to do it? Dang, I'm trying to think. I feel like this was... <clears throat> this was at a concert. I guess I'll say, yeah, this one. This was at a um, a concert. And you actually... Oh, I'm not going to say who it was, actually. But um, this was... Because he's a pastor. And... <laughs> not, um, wait, who's pastor? When we played at that thing at the Getty, oh okay. yeah, yeah, that passed <clears throat> And um, nah, but so you know they be trying to, they be getting fired up, they just be trying to, you know, say stuff. And this was in the middle of Trump's presidency, and so he tried to do a little play on words with the "Make America Great Again" thing at the concert. <laughs> 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 it, it didn't land at all to the point where people were like, like the way it didn't land, like. It made it seem like what did he just say? Like, did, was did he really mean that? And like, I know he didn't mean that. And he didn't, and then he tried to like backtrack and like redo it. And then it just was not. The, and it and it was a Martin Luther King Day concert. Oh it right. Just, it was just it was just it was giving awkward. Like, <laughs> was that when we played at the Getty or was it a different time? It's a different time. He was okay. Also, he, he Cause I feel like I remember. When you said the MLK thing, I was like, wait, hold on. I wasn't there for that. But he did say something. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but I feel like we only, we only me and you picked up on that. Because I was like, you were like, <laughs> so maybe everybody else was like, ah, happy to be here. So I don't know. Um, For me, the one I could, the one that came to mind, a couple came to mind automatically, but I'm going to skip those. So the, the fourth one um <laughs> was not did not happen to me but there's this professor that i do not have respect for anymore that you know exactly what i'm talking about um i have renamed them <laughs> <laughs> and um one of my studio mates um when i was at eastman wanted to like she found out i was doing a double um a double master so she was like i often do that i said period girl like it's a, it's a twofer you know what i'm saying go ahead and go ahead and so she went to this professor she was like oh you know i'm gonna add the performance major and he was like oh you really think you're gonna get a job 
And I was just like, and what did you say after that? And it's, but she's also like, what can you say? Like those kind mm. of things, like, I don't even know what I would say in that moment because it's like, it, it's almost like debilitating. Cause it's like, you are literally a professor. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And also I feel like a lot of these professors, especially like that one in particular is just like jaded by the profession. And it's like, you don't know what people can do. Um, you really have no idea what people can do if they really put their mind on something. I got a couple of people on my mentions right now who have realized that. So it's, mm-hmm. that just, I, even her telling me that, I was just like, that was so gross to me. And that paired with other things that Professor has done, I was just like, yeah, maybe mm-hmm. it's good that you got to get out of there. <laughs> okay, last one. So a couple of weeks ago, maybe last week, I don't know. What is time anyway? But a couple of weeks ago, B. Simone went viral yet again. Who was that? I thought that was a website. I'm I'm very lost. I don't know. <laughs> okay, you might have heard of B Simone over the summer. Over the summer because she went viral for having like okay, she people were on her case. No, it was at the beginning of the pandemic actually. People were on her case because like she was like I'm going to make a million dollars this year, like as in 2020. Like so she I was like period. Go ahead and make a million dollars. And she was posting about it every day. Like, I'm manifesting a million dollars a manifest. And then she actually did it. Like she she made a million dollars. So then she like came out with this book or whatever. So other people can manifest their money as well. Turns out the whole book was basically like copy and paste from like Pinterest and all other stuff. So like a bunch of people like <laughs> a bunch of people. You didn't hear about this? Like back in April? I don't think so. A, public, a bunch of people like sued her for it. It was like this whole thing, and then she ended up instead of just taking the blame for it, she blamed her team that made the book. And I don't. Oh, that was her. Mm-hmm. When as soon as you said like blame a team or something, like I remember this person, but I didn't know it was a person named B Simone. Does it yeah. B stand for something? Her name is like uh, Brianna or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Okay, let's something just something like that. I actually really like B Simone. I haven't seen much of her because I've been on Instagram like that, but um. I did see her last week <clears throat> when she went viral for being a pick me. So she was talking about like all the all y'all all y'all women like y'all want this man like you want a man that can cook do you know how to cook you want a man who's financially stable you don't have a job like all this stuff and all the men in the comments were like yeah rah 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 that's what they don't want to hear it they're not ready for this and it's like okay <laughs> me and and the and the rest of the people were like, there's nothing wrong with aspiring something. It's like, like, or, or desiring something later on with like, what's wrong with that? So she's baked, but someone made an excellent point. I wish I remember the the Twitter handle. I was like, y'all be spitting on Twitter low key. They were like, a lot of people who fall out of graces with black women will try to get, uh, try to get recognition with black men to like, you know, remain popular because Black women were like, uh uh-uh, uh, the plagiarism thing and all the other stuff you going on and with. And also, she has that when she got the million dollars, she threw a party in the pandemic. I forgot about that. Yeah. So, so she's just problematic all around. <laughs> that's, that's what it seems like. Man, I like, I really like B Simone. She was so, oh, you know what? You might know B Simone from also because she's the one who, who was like, baby girl. Because there was a time that is not familiar at all. There was a time where every black girl I knew was doing that. Except I, for like, yeah, I know that saying. I didn't know that. Yeah, was it was her. Except for like Delaney and Nikki, my friend Nikki. Every other, every other baby girl, and like, because people, like, people, were like, I hate B Simone because everybody's saying baby girl. Um, 
So I want you to give me a time in classical music and your experience that you have been in the presence of a pick me. And if you don't know what this looks like, I would love to explain. So, explain that. you know what a pick me is? No. Okay. I so like I got to do. You mean like, uh, like, uh, like in terms of race? That's what no. it is? Okay. So a pick me is a woman that would do anything to get the attention of a man. So like... I'm doing a terrible job of explaining this, but like, like, oh, I cook and I clean and like, y'all women got to do this too. And like that kind of like, yeah, like a guy will post like on Twitter, a guy will post like, man, these females don't be, do- they, they, they be uh, deceiving everybody and they be cheating. And then, and then a pick me will come and be like, yeah, yeah. Oh my God, they be- man, these women are out here. I'm not like that. Oh, like, I'm yeah. I so thought pick- you meant like pygmy like the like the it's like the, the ethnic group that's like the short people i thought that's what you was talking oh about so Richard, why me. how do we get no because I, this is you talking about stuff that's like part of like the slang lexicon and stuff like that and then i'm thinking like things that already existed for a long time but so not I you gotta, thinking that b Simone was pygmy <laughs> how did we get there <laughs> you could be like four feet i don't know so okay cool so pick me i pick yeah. me like okay, they, so they always they'll defend men. And they're just really so I'll give an example. Not necessarily it doesn't have to be a, a woman. So last mm. week in Memphis we had a bunch of snow, like this much snow in the past like ten years, right? City was unprepared because South. Also, I was talking. <laughs> I I don't think that's excusable, but let's go with it. So a lot of the South was unprepared for this amount of snow. So some people even lost power. Cool. So I'm in studio class and this one dude, because you have to have your camera on a studio, like you you ought to have your camera on. It's it's mm. VO studio. It's like 10 of us, like have your camera on, right? Mm. So this one dude didn't have his camera on. I'm like, that's weird. He always got his camera on. So my teacher goes like, oh, okay, someone saw you going to play. And they didn't answer. And my teacher was like, oh, like, if you can hear us, like put it in the chat or whatever. So he, like the person wrote like, oh i'm in the starbucks parking lot like i can't i know i don't have my viola with me like i'm trying like i just came here to get internet and i was annoyed by that because for several reasons one one is that it's literally dangerous it was literally dangerous to drive in memphis last week because they didn't plow anything so like you really should just not be outside like they don't have plows i saw them they weren't even outside you said what Maybe they weren't actually outside. They were at the Starbucks park. They were at Starbucks trying to get internet. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So they, they were using like what some things, some things that you pick up gravel with. You know that that that. No, I don't even know what shape you making. Right now. <laughs> that thing is yellow. Little kids be playing with them, like them trucks. Oh, like a not a bulldozer, right? No, right? Is it a bulldozer? Is that a bulldozer? I think. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, they were out there with those the shovel car. Yeah, shovel car. They were out there. <laughs> yeah, they were out there clearing that stuff. So one, it was dangerous. Two, like, and most importantly, it gave me pick me. A plow? Was, you talking about? Is it a plow though? Because it, it don't it, have no claw though. No, it's like the thing where okay, <laughs> it's like a, a pickup thing. Like you want to move this thing of gravel oh, to, oh, like it go down and it go no it's like, scoop like that like you want to pick up this rock this pound of gravel so you, 
you drive it's either it, like a, a, a thing. either an excavator or Richard what <laughs> or a front loader maybe it's like one of them things like <laughs> I think it Google that it, it might be either a front loader or excavator. <laughs> You like you, know, you okay. can talk to it's a theorist at Eastman, uh Erin Smith. She knows all about it. like when she see this stuff, it's so hilarious. Like if she see construction equipment, she go crazy. Why? I ain't never seen that before. <laughs> never. It's hilarious. Like she will for real go crazy. It's like a little kid uh seeing a PlayStation underneath the Christmas tree or something. Like for real, see a bulldozer and then be like, Oh my goodness. It's oh, hilarious. Oh my goodness. That's concerning. <laughs> it's, it's I hilarious. mean, you don't go Aaron. off. Me to hair. Wait, that's the redhead one? No, she got short hair. Oh, it's funny. She's cool. Else. It's just it's funny because it's just like everybody got like their their interests and stuff. It's just like hers is construction equipment. And I'm like, cool. But music yeah. theory sounds great. Yes, music theory. <laughs> I was hoping I was hoping them that's mean. Um but that they were using yeah, it's a front loader. They were using the front loaders to pick up the, the snow. That's because they don't have plows, right? Wow. So it gave the main the main thing why it made me upset is because it gave me pick me behavior. I hate people like this in classical music. You are not gonna get an A double plus for risking your life to go to studio. Our teacher is already nice. There's no reason to kiss his butt. He already likes you. He likes everybody. There's no reason to do all that. Also, you are literally at a Starbucks parking lot for a class that we have every week in a class in which you cannot play because you cannot play in your car. It's it gave, it gave pick me behavior. And it's like I could think of a bunch of I can think of a bunch of people, especially people I went to undergrad with, that acted like this in regards to our teachers or other professors, like or whatever. That sounds yeah. more just like a. Uh, if that's the case, uh, I don't know what the true intention was, but if that's the case, that sounds more like a, like a brown nose or something, because it seemed like that behavior would be there regardless of teacher. But what you describe me as far as pick me, if I'm like getting it right, is like. Like a, a male will say some like what you would associate with like typical like misogynist or patriarchal like behaviors or sayings, and then a girl would somehow like against her best interest, like basically chime mm-hmm. in and agree mm-hmm. with it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, I knew some like in I don't know I don't want to say where I knew him from, but it was a. A group like an ensemble I was playing with, and um, I hear guys just saying all this type of stuff. Girls do this, blah blah blah, all this stuff like that. And I just remember her always like jumping and like trying to be one of the guys. But I couldn't tell if it was like she wanted to, like she liked somebody in the group, or if it was just like she wanted to fit in or something like that. But I remember sometimes it would be some problematic things said. And admittedly, back then, I would I didn't speak up on it and say, okay, y'all shouldn't talk about that. But I remember it just, it stood out to me because she was a female. But, yeah, I won't go into detail because, uh, I don't know, maybe she grew up. So. Probably not. not. No, not probably not. <laughs> you have anything, Um, Yeah, it's so many pick music, and classical music. Yeah, um, like, I, I zoomed yeah. out a lot. Like, I, I zoomed out from the literal definition. Yeah, because it's usually, like, on Twitter that, like, that that kind of, like, stems from Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's usually, like, women in, like, trying to get a man's approval, but I'm, like, going to take it just in general because, you know, usually in classical music, it's going to be, like, trying to get a teacher's approval yeah. or, like, a, you know. So I remember when I was in, um, when I was in high school, they, they, they put so much on like that section leader title 
It was oh. very. It was very annoying. It was giving that's, that's extra. That way in college too. Yeah, college. I didn't get that at Eastman, but yeah, it's in, not as in, bad as Eastman. Yeah, it's not at Eastman. Right I think school. it's it's more like geared to mm-hmm. like how it actually is in an orchestra. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they put it like it, it was. It was a lot. So when I came when I came to my second high school. So there was a dude, there was a, one guy that was a senior in the bass section. There was two other, there was one guy that was a junior. And then I came in and I was also a junior. And so this dude thought he was going to be assistant principal. But then I got, I came in and I, my seating audition, I got put in front of him. So he okay. was already, whatever. Prodigy? So the next year. Who among us? Let's so pull over. Year, no, let's not. Let's pull we got, This episode's already going to be long. <laughs> so, um. The next year when we were when we were seniors, it was kind of like, uh oh, who's gonna get it? Who's gonna get it? Um, and so our we had two stream teachers. Our stream teacher, um, and usually one of them likes you, one of them doesn't. So like, <laughs> you know, it's like one of them is in your corner. It's just how it usually works. So we were like, who's gonna who's gonna get it? And the same there was the same similar thing happening with my friend in the viola section, by the way. So they decided, okay, we're gonna make you co-principals. So oh, I think I <laughs> So I hate. I think it's so whack. A lot of because, I've seen that a couple times. Because we have string orchestra and we have symphony orchestra. So one person will be in string string orchestra, principal one in symphony orchestra. Next semester you switch. Um, so of course when I was when I was principal in orchestra, um, in the in the symphony orchestra, we was holding. You know they wanted you to hold sections after school and X Y and lead them and teach and you know. Uh uh-uh. Yeah. So work here. In school, right? School ended at four. <laughs> I was staying after school, doing sections with them, and then going to Yola. And after that, you you know, uh-huh. like, and so I um he said something. The other guy said something that like it, it made me mad. It was something about like not putting in effort or whatever. And I had just stayed after school to like six for a sectional, you know. So I was pissed at that, and I was like, you know what? I'm not gonna. I'm not. First of all, we're in orchestra. Second of all, I'm not going to talk to you right now because I know I'm going to hurt your feelings. So, <laughs> <laughs> so why he going to go first, at his big age, going to go to the teacher? Oh, yeah, I don't know what's wrong with Delaney. She's not, she not talking to me and she's not X, Y, and Z. And she's not really doing what she needs to do. And, and yeah, so like he went and tried to get ahead of it because that particular teacher was the one of the string teachers that did not really care for me so like it's not like an episode of glee it's so like (laughs) drama but yeah he tries to get ahead of the situation by going to him and being like yeah i don't know about delaney she's not really um she's not really trying to talk this out and xyz and i'm just like what are you doing it sounds it's so dramatic it's so dramatic it went on to that teacher saying well my experience with women you know so you usually just you probably just looked at her wrong and I was just like what whatever yeah that that's a whole other thing but that was giving very pick me that you would go tell on me Mm. at your big age (laughs) because I didn't want to talk this out about a freaking sectional that none of us are getting paid to be in so (laughs) and you know what's crazy I think you could like if you think of pick me like like in that same vein, like you could think I feel like feel like the most pick me's you know were from high school wanna be like, Oh, Mr. So and so, did you like collect the homework and like Oh my uh, god. And I think that's hilarious because then if you compare that kind of behavior to like grown men, women who be capping for these men on Twitter, it's like you should be ashamed. <laughs> like because <laughs> children act like this. Um, right. you never collected the homework assignment? Yo, especially like in the AP classes with them like overachieving white people I was with. Girl, everybody do this homework. Somebody put a picture. 
pick me like thing and then they put a picture of a lady like you know when they throw the bouquet at in a wedding mm-hmm. and she was like she was like tackling everybody else to get the bouquet <laughs> they said that's what a pick me is <laughs> for real uh, well thanks for playing my little game richard yay unclassified allows you to stream curated classical music playlists for any moment okay ladies now let's get in formation period we going from one month of excellence to another welcome to women's history month and what a perfect way to listen to some of your favorite women composers and some classically black alumna you remember clara schumann from episode 73 Oh, yeah, yeah, when she was doing a busted challenge. Or Alma Mahler from episode 91. There's also T.T. Flo. Florence Price. Mm-hmm. And Erilyn Wallen. You can find on Classified's profile and playlist on major streaming platforms, including Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer, and more. Follow them at Unclassified HQ on social media and learn more at Unclassified.com. And we are moving on. All right, so um, today long awaited topic we are talking about you know the, the little mix up with um yeah, with philip what you say yeah i said yeah little mix up i mean listen when i saw like there was a i should probably say what it is because people are like yeah. the mix up with <laughs> <laughs> but like when i saw there was a there was like video people making youtube videos about the conflict i'm like this is literally music theory and i know that's not fair because people are in their own worlds but mm-hmm. it's like and like what's popular to them you know but it's like it's like we, we got to zoom out a little bit we got to really because the one of the professors and we'll get to this was basically cyberbullying somebody else i'm like you are a grown man cyberbullying about music theory yeah. music <laughs> theory yeah and i know it's not fair because it's like people probably think the same like you could say the same thing about basketball like y'all doing all this about basketball or football but i feel like like just because the culture doesn't, this because like the larger population doesn't recognize it is is it still it's still important. But of it's, yeah. it's still music theory. I can't get no. It, it didn't warrant warrant all of this. But. It didn't like not think pieces and and YouTube videos and Lawsuits. like comment and subscribe. Like, oh, girl, what are we one four five one? Like, <laughs> what, are we talk- <laughs> what are we talking about? Anything. <laughs> but okay. So if you don't know what we're referring to, um, this music theorist, Philip Yule, you know, shook the table, made the girls with set um, back in 2019. So he did a, a presentation um, talking about like the whiteness in music theory back in November 2019. I forgot the name of the conference. So the Society for Music Society Theory. Society of Music Theory. It's like the, it's the annual conference. It's basically like the, the main conference for music theorists each year. How long do it be? How many days? It's normally like, I think it's like two days or three days. I think it's normally like three days or something like that. Like everybody will get there on Tuesday to last uh, Thursday. Um, Some people get there on Wednesday, like board members, stuff like that, uh, special committees. And then by Sunday, you know, you might, you know, just like uh, the Viola conference or something like that. Um, Or Sphinx, like normally. Yeah, but Viola's fun. That's why I was asking. Okay. Like this one, they bag. They be comparing sad paper and stuff. <laughs> Pencils, right. the best eraser. <laughs> Takangaroga, right? Am I right? right? They be like, how you how you draw your travel clip? Let me see. <laughs> oh, yo, be leaning. Okay, I like that. 
But um, he gave a presentation oh. at the <laughs> in November 2019 uh, talking about music theory and the right white racial frame. It's basically broken up into like he highlighted three parts. Um, the whitewashing of music theory. Then he talks about um, Shanker um, and his ideologies and and his theories and stuff like that. And then also getting rid of this idea of diversity um, in music theory specifically. And like the girls are like, oh, period. This is it. Congratulations. Like this is, you hit the nail on the head. And I feel like that often happens at music, at conferences in general. Like this as an aside, like everybody be like, oh, that was amazing. And Cause you know, you can just go back home and just keep doing what you was doing. So people Basically. like, he he literally had a standing ovation. They're like, this is lit. So then where, where stuff, uh, turn a corner was in September 2020 last year he like put in he published it and he just like went into a little bit more detail about everything that he talked about at the conference talking about how like um in music in music theory specifically I mean but also like I really like I felt seeing some of the some of the stuff that he was saying because I feel like it's like uniform across classical music. Um, this idea of white people misunderstanding, first of all, they calling him calling them the whites really like spoke to my soul. Well, anyway, um, this this idea that white people misunderstand like racism and yes. they they don't realize they don't see it as something that is systematic, but just like they see it as prejudice, which is like I feel like that can speak across like <laughs> like everything that's wrong with America period and this idea of that when white when white people say like they don't see color it, it leads to this like whitewashing of everything because it's like because we don't see cover it's just color it's just music and i think like that was like the, the one of the main takeaways i got from that particular section and about like how we you know it's just music like we're colorblind you know and it just takes away from like what the conversations we actually need to be having then he um goes into talk a little bit more about shanker and who who was a german nationalist process he was he was jewish so okay um and he was really <laughs> really racist i'll find my favorite quote i'll find my favorite quote okay um He's, he's called Negro spirituals completely falsified dishonest exploration of European music. Babe, we're not even playing the same game. <laughs> like, right. He was talking about <laughs> certain races being primitive. You call Africans cannibals. Like, so they needed to like, what do you say? Like obliterate? Well, he say obliterate. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well. But he said like destroy all the Japanese people. I'm like, he just, just everybody. Who did you like? Like, <laughs> Not himself. I, I mean, not himself, and also the Germans like not like him back. So confused on that, but uh, we we move and but um, he talks about like how people still teach his stuff, and I feel like that's um, that's parallel with anything. Like people still teach Wagner, even though he was incredibly racist. My black behind playing freaking Wagner. What the heck am I doing playing Wagner? You know what I'm saying? And then what we like is that he offered a couple of solutions. Um, as well like something that I found to be quite interesting is that he said that you know I don't recommend that we stop teaching this stuff but also this musing is a point of departure and I was thinking about how like in my graduate theory class at Eastman how we really dive deep like Miss Mamas I forgot her name she was new when I got there <laughs> um, but she we got the shanker like she was acting like she was on the prices right you know what I'm saying and <laughs> never once mentioned 
that he I had no idea Shanker. I thought he was some dude with some old notes and he just did a little thing and then y'all just went crazy. You know, I didn't never mentioned it at all. And also because like I was counting every minute in that hour and twenty five minutes, I have I never decided to <laughs> Google him outside of that. You know what I'm saying? What's um, wild it, is how his ideas kind of like basically uh and uh, embedded in uh, american music theory like you wouldn't realize like what's happening uh when you do certain forms of analysis it's reinforced with a lot of the stuff that he came up with like the, at least the way they teach it in, in many schools right now like a lot of textbooks the main textbooks you read they're influenced by those ideologies whether they meant to uh you know if they knew about the racist stuff or not, it's a lot of it is embedded in current music theory pedagogy. So, mm-hmm. but anyway, keep going. Yeah, he also <clears throat> some other um, things that he offered. He wanted to see. Um, hold on, I lost my spot in my little notes or whatever. But he wanted to see like some names of committee change. I'm gonna find the exact name of the committee so I don't miss. Um, so I don't misspeak. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he wanted to rename um, the SMT's Committee on Race and Ethnicity to be the Committee on Anti-Race uh, on Anti-Racism, and I think this ties into his idea of getting rid of getting rid of this notion of diversity because when we talk about diversity he's described it as being a, a cop-out for for these yeah. institutions instead of it being like an action an action to actually to actually put black people and people of color at, at the forefront um and then one one of his recommendations that i found to be that really jumped out to me i mean they were all like i thought they're really uh concrete but this idea, I think it kind of ties into like, even though ISBM is not a classical music organization, it ties into this idea of like, what is classical music, acknowledging that there's other classical musics. And someone was like, people will say like, oh, well, it's, it's just music theory. Like, we're just talking about music, but it's like, whose music are we talking about? And um, also, we, we can't say like, it's just music theory. We never talk about like Asian music or other music. And also, calling like this classical music and then grouping everything else from all the other 179 countries into world music is like absolutely or whatever you know like not 179 but you know with the whatever 160 minus that that select few and it's also like oh this is classical music we only study this type of classical music and even if you do study another type of music you're still studying it through this frame right of classical music right like through a classical Mm -hmm. music theory yeah. yeah, so that's what I would really recommend this read. It's also like something that was really troubling. Um, way at the beginning of the article, or maybe in the middle, he like did a <clears throat> like an analysis of like the common music theory textbooks, and I couldn't remember which textbook. Oh, because we didn't use one. That's <laughs> no, we did. Was there? No, we didn't. I was gonna say I didn't buy it. Okay, I'm back. <laughs> okay, but um, whatever. I can't remember the, th- the the book that we were supposed to use at um for Eastman, and I couldn't remember. At, at for my undergrad, we used like this like this uh packet. Like you, we bought a textbook that came with a workbook, and we had to keep it for four semesters. And I couldn't remember the name of that one either. I mean, I was it an up. actual textbook like published? It was an actual published textbook. It was like green, and the, the edition before that was blue. 
because I tried to use the old edition, but of course the number, the page numbers be off. So I had to actually buy this $200 textbook, but you use it for four semesters. Was it a grab review book? You talking when you got to Eastland? No, no, no. This was at my undergrad. <clears throat> oh, I don't know. It was like a big old thick book and it came with a big old thick workbook and you keep that joint. I for, probably um, got it. Probably, I, I probably got it. It's probably that green one right there. Underneath the other degree. You said it was green when you got it? But you probably, if you the one you have, you probably, it's probably blue. I don't know. But he he did a, a breakdown. I'm going to find the name because it's going to kill me now. But <clears throat> he uh, he broke down the, the different music theory books. And he was like, this percentage, this is the amount of examples of people who are non-white in use in, in the book. And then this is the percentage. And it's alarming. This is one this is one book that had none. It was um Aldwell and Schachter. Yeah. Zero non-white examples. And that's the fourth edition. Okay. <laughs> 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 the first time they, they took a stab at it. It's the fourth edition. So this one this uh this Bernstein and Strauss 26 Strauss, yeah. Oh, Richard Bernstein, like like the never mind. Um, I'm gonna say like the Bears. Are that? That's what oh, you said. That's Bernstein. Oh, <laughs> yeah. um, I'm saying Bernstein Bears. They had out of 304 examples, they had one, yeah. one non-white example. And that one, yeah, that just came out. Cause when they came when they came out, they gave it to like some professors, and it came over. I was at Penn State at the time, and then. Uh, yeah, I got a copy of it, and I remember seeing that. But this thing is uh, just to like interject uh, in there real quick. I mean, I'm done. This, so this problem is not like uh, just limited to the music theory field. It's it's also within <clears throat> music history. Like if you open up music history textbooks, like the contributions of um, Black Americans, especially, um, but just Black people. Period. Like really accounting for what they were able to do within the classical music world and beyond. It's almost like they're footnotes in history. Um, one like quick story, there's a guy, um, man, I don't know why I'm forgetting his name, man. He's like one of the, hold on. Yeah, Richard Taruskin. Damn, that's my name too. So Taruskin! Yeah. No, that's no, that's the Eastman one. That's why I sound familiar. No, I'm gonna remember. Uh, I think he sees out in like Cali or something like that. No, but that's um, the Taruskin was the book that we that we were supposed to buy. For music theory, he's a music historian. He don't have uh, any theory books. Oh no, that's the class I took over at Sibley. You see how my Eastman education is just a, it's just like this. <laughs> Everything outside of Viola is just a ball. Taruskin <laughs> was the the music history class I took when he the little book, right? Yeah, I mean, he has like uh like different books and everything. Oh. So he has like a, he has like history like a, a history book, and oh, then after memories. that he has he also has like a like a little anthology thing where he goes through like mm -hmm. each period in classical music. So oh, it's, it's like, red. See, I know we got the same page now. He also has like a five volume set that you know he goes over music before sixteen hundred, then he does baroque mm -hmm. and then classical, romantic, and then everything after that stuff. So, but it's the same thing. And I remember we would uh, had to do like a. A bibliography class when I first got into my master's program, and I had to find like a uh, like some sources on something. It was just like when you take a bib class, like you they teach you how to do research and everything. Yeah. So mm -hmm. at this time, I'm like, okay. Once I came in, I was like, yo, I'm doing. Uh, I'm I'm gonna do Samuel Coleridge Taylor. Start looking at his stuff because I got really into his music that summer prior to that when I was teaching in DC public schools. And anyway, I started going through all of the books and. 
this is this sort of the uh, authority on classical music, really, or just music history, so-called, in quotation marks. But I go through it, and the guy is not in there. And so I start researching them, and I'm doing it. Y'all already know who Sammy Coleridge Taylor is and, you know, how famous he was, like how he won a scholarship over Gustav Holst when he was going into uh, his music program, doing all this stuff. So it's like this is a big figure. At one point, uh, some uh, – some things I read said that one of his pieces, a high water suite, it rivaled or even surpassed uh, Handel's Messiah at some point in like the early 1900s. Now you think Handel's Messiah, this big piece, but anyway, no, that high water um, suite, she girthy. Yes, like, so, that is a big piece. Yeah, I've never played. I've never played all of it. I've always played like it's all been a cut. Yeah. But yeah, I'm like, I'm going through his book and I'm like, I don't see his name. I don't see anything about him in here. Like, like most black composers I'm looking for. I don't see anything about him. And so I emailed him. I'm like, hey, like I'm, I'm studying this thing. I'm looking at your book. And the more and more I look into this person, I don't see him in there. So like, like what's good? And he emailed me back was like, basically just like in a few sentences said, He's he apologizes that was oversight or something like that. Like there's a his omission. It is like it, it happened, but uh he'll fix it like in you know future dish. I never checked to see if he did that. Um I should probably do that, but yeah, I remember looking at that, like nothing about this person. And again, he's he's a, a big figure in terms of classical music history and just nothing about him. So when we go to these things and we look at these examples, um it also speaks to, for me, it also speaks to the fact that if we think about, and we can get more into this when we get more into like the, the essay and, and the Shanker and all this stuff, a lot of musics that aren't classical and aren't common practice classical, I mean, it doesn't follow the stuff that we learn in the theory book. Like y'all was joking around about one, four, five and everything. When it strays so far outside of that and we can't make these clean, like analytical structures to be able to describe it. That's part, uh, probably part of the reason why they don't include this stuff in it, because like they don't even know how to explain it themselves. If your if your tool doesn't fit with it, like if you keep trying to use this screwdriver to do something, it's like the tool you needed was a hammer. You're gonna say, okay, nothing can fix it, right? So that's the same thing for them. It's just like, all right, well, our Roman numerals and these graphs and all this stuff that these form charts, it doesn't explain what's going on in this music. So whatever, we're gonna leave it out, but. I can say just from being in the music theory world up to this point in my life, I'm not really surprised at uh, this sort of thing um, that is happening, but I'm, I don't know. Putting, yeah, we can put some more black people in there, some more Hispanic people in it, put more music by other people. But like Delaney was saying, and like a lot of the uh, people that were agreeing with this, it's not just about, putting more black people and putting more diverse mm -hmm. people uh, in the book. It's, it's a larger problem about how music is valued and how music is taught in the academy and just really uh, in the world. And I think that's why, like, the people who we want, we, there, are, there are a select group of people who want to make changes in this field <clears throat> in, yes. in, in, all, in all its facets. <clears throat> there's, a select, there's a select group of people who want to make change. Yeah. The people who the people who need to implement the change are often not equipped to do their work. Now imagine you wrote this whole, this whole thing, this whole, like, like I was, I was like lost in the sauce, but I remember like the, the grad student that taught that 
that music history whatever survey class that I had to take at Eastman because you know I failed a little test coming in. Um, so whoever, whatever grad student, like she held the Taruscan in this like highest regard, like the way she spoke about him. I imagine like this is like one of the leaders in her field. Like mm-hmm. was just she would just like, and it's like for him to leave out something like that. But he has he has the mic on this kind of stuff. It's like yeah. how do you that, that's not an omission, you know what I'm saying? But like I don't want you can't leave out important figures like that like i mean his i feel stuff like it's detailed like his stuff very so yes so. and it's like you i mean at the very least the least the least you could do mm-hmm. is like include like the like at least like hg burley because if you want he worked with dvorak so you might as well he wasn't his lackey you know what i'm saying you might as yeah. well do that you might as well put sam mccorridge taylor and then florence price and william grant are just simply history they simply must be included and i mean you should include everyone but it's like that the people who are supposed to be doing the work are not equipped to be doing the work so mm-hmm. that's what i'm that's what i'm worried about you have all these things in place and then whatever found the book it is the Musician's Guide to Theory and Analysis. Oh, that's uh, Clinton and Marvin. She uh, she teaches yeah. at Eastman. Yeah. No, no, no. She. <laughs> when you look at the Yule video when he's doing this presentation, she's in it. Yeah, that's her. Right her. I was like, I was like, is that Professor Mark? I was like, that looked like her. Ah, <laughs> uh-uh. ah. There it goes. That's the one. <laughs> That's I have a different one. color. Mine is like purplish. Yours is purple. Yeah, that's the uh, that's the third edition. I think this is the. That's the first the, edition, right? This is the first edition. That the, right, yeah, and I have that. I have somewhere deep deep buried in my house in Evanston. I have a second edition because when I got to ISU, that joint literally it came with the it came with yeah. the workbook and the, um and the textbook and it was like two hundred something dollars. Mm-hmm. But I tried to be slick when I got to ISU. I was like, oh baby, we don't do that. Mm-hmm. I ain't paying for that. So I was like, boom, I got you. The library had the first edition, but that did not work out at all, <laughs> as you could imagine. Yeah, oh my God. Yep, that's what we use. And we use it for two semesters. You had to keep that joint. Yeah. Jump y'all falling off. Ain't got no first page, stuff. no last page by the fourth semester. <laughs> oh, that's brought back some memory. They gotta go find. No, for what? Hold on. Uh, You're right. <laughs> I, I, I was just like, nostalgia. Homework. <laughs> I have I have distinct memories of waking up at seven thirty to do them worksheets real quick eight o'clock class. Oh, good times. My students be doing that too. <laughs> you see the upload time. Class start at eight. I'll be like, all right, you upload this joint smooth at seven fifty nine. Like, all right. <laughs> and you know what? If the devil's bitch, it's gonna be eight o two. I locked the folders then. Uh uh-uh, uh, okay. we are in a pandemic. No, no. Not one sure. at all. We are literally in a pandemic. I never had Google Drive. You locked, you locked the thing? What? I can't yeah. lock it. It's Google Drive. But I'm I do let s- them know. But I do let them know because uh, the rest of the class is, I don't want to say lax, but it's not so work intensive. So it's like when they do get work, it's like, yo, you had enough time doing everything like i'm not giving you like pages of work like students begin at other schools like mm-hmm. my belief in period with the pandemic or anything is that yeah students it's not just like okay you at home and you know with the pandemic it's not like okay you at home so it's, everything's easier you could just wake up and then come to class and do it like mentally like the mental health part of the pandemic is that's the thing, the thing. Tell me so i try to keep that in mind when students are doing stuff so like I ha- i've had students very rarely it happens because i i hate late work like with a passion 
Like, I don't like it. It's a lot of things that I'll, like, you know, less doing, like, kind of slide with. I'm great at comments and everything. It's a good thing we met under different circumstances. Yeah, that, that, that late, for some reason, like, late work for me, I'm just like, yo, like, I'd rather you try something, do whatever. Because, I mean, but the thing is, like you said, sometimes stuff come up. Um, people dealing with family things. Like I had a student that, you know, he was going through some stuff because of the uh, the, the snowstorm and uh, down south and everything. So, like, yeah, I, I listen to reason. I, and I'm not just sitting there like whatever. Like you could just do it, but yeah, I don't. I remember, know. I remember like in high school or something. I was all, I was on some different. I was different, Katie. Like I was just I was just feeling the desk. Okay, <laughs> like <laughs> I remember I gave I must have gave a teacher like a pack like a stack of work in may and i was like here you go well, i definitely don't do that like, <laughs> and she was if like you don't yes say nothing, if you don't say nothing that's a problem like when you miss a whole midterm and then you come to me on the final exam day be like yeah what's my grade like what like you know you messed up but anyway with music theory like when i'm teaching stuff i don't use uh i try not to like a, like i don't think i've ever had my students buy a book like if i'm the one you know when i started teaching mm-hmm. howard like i'm like i'm not I'm not gonna require you to if they required it before I got here and you already have it, then cool. But like I find old editions of stuff and I'm like, we we gonna just rock it with this. Like spending two hundred dollars on the fourth edition when they just added like ten examples to the third, no. Like go find the old edition or we just use something else. But most of the time, because of what we're talking about with music theory and the way it's taught, it's like like I'm teaching at Howard. I am definitely teaching gospel music. Like I'm not about to sit here and only teach string quartets. You know, but at the same time, I tell my students, I know like most of them probably not used to classical music. Most of them are probably not used to music outside of what they're used to in the community, the black community. So I tell them like, it's important to understand it. So I'll put it like a, a Beethoven sonata, like an excerpt in there. But I'll put like, I think one of the assignments I gave out uh, yesterday, it got Summer Walker in there. So it's like, it's, it's, it's important for them to understand that when they're making this music, it's not just about like parallel fifths and mm-hmm. you know doing all this stuff like that. It's very important to understand that. Plus, you gotta think about it. How do people make music now? Like, there, like the main method of uh, making music, at least popular music, the, uh, the music. Not even just saying popular music, but the the uh, one of the music that's consumed most um, in this society now is electronically uh, composed. So, like being able to use GarageBand, like. When was the last time you had a teacher tell you to use GarageBand in a, a theory course to compose like a, a harmonic progression or like make a beat or something like that? Writing with we, the little fetch things over it. Yeah, so it's like, <laughs> it's not well. saying that sheet music is bad because students need to understand how the music looks on paper, how music interacts uh, like in that kind of way. But like if you get a music degree in 2020 or 2021 now and you can't, you know, operate like a digital audio workstation at DAW. Um, you can't operate something like GarageBand or Ableton or something like that. That's weird, especially if the music around you, because you got to remember when people were composing music like this and learning species counterpoint, doing all this stuff, that was what was going on at that time. When they would uh, listen to Brahms doing all this stuff, that was like the main music, at least in that part mm-hmm. of the world at that time. So if we are in a society that's using it, like even in classical music concerts, Look at what they got in the back of the auditorium. They got people working on mixes, mm-hmm. you know? So that's, that, that doesn't mean that's how the music is being made, but it's like you should it's know important. how sound is being manipulated in this century. So but. I took a class like that at Illinois State, but I'm pretty sure we just learned how to open Sibelius and close it. Like, I don't remember. <laughs> I don't really remember nothing else from, from that. Yeah. But, um, 
I was gonna say something, but I forgot. It was trifling, so we can move on. <laughs> <laughs> well, sorry. Um, you know, we were just talking about before we went on that tangent. <laughs> We were just mm. talking about how like a lot of people that are in these positions are not equipped to make this change. Some people are actively working against it. So that's going to take us into our next um, portion of the story and why it is drama. Because like Kennedy said, at the conference, you know, uh, Professor Yule got a, a, a standing ovation. I heard a lot of people was like secretly like hot. And I didn't go because I was I just bet like, you don't I bet. But they said people was walking like some of the, like the more like seasoned people in music theory was walking around like like crestfallen just like faces blank didn't know what to do was walking around in the lobby just like yo what's, what's going on? <laughs> like I, said, I wasn't there but that's what i heard from a couple of people mm-hmm. so. and we and we're about to talk about one of them because the reason why okay so after this happened there's a journal for Shankarian studies that just said, um, was yeah, it I have, a for that mess. <laughs> Do you, have you, have you read that? Like, that yeah, doesn't sound I mean, good. We have to get stuff from out of there. Um, I yeah. mean, you can have, I think you can have a journal for anything, but it's, it's right. Yeah. But I, I mean, not know. for something like that. I don't know. But anyway, keep going. So I'm sorry. Specific. Go. I would do. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yes, this journal for Shankarian studies, and they issued a call for um, for responses to this presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, they got I forget how many they got. It's like eighty five pages worth of worth of stuff. You know, some people. Um, well, that's eighty five pages the, worth of stuff as a response to Yule because they had actual stuff <clears> in <throat> the, uh, like um, actual articles. I think it's two articles in there before that. Um, one is mm. talking about like Mozart and prolongation or like keys, uh, something, but anyway, keep yeah. going. Still yeah. about that. 85 pages worth of stuff in response to, into, in response to the presentation. Yeah. Um, one particular response stuck out, um, is by professor Timothy Jackson, who, um, who teaches at, uh, at UT Austin. Is that right? Yeah, UT Austin, that's right. No, UNT, University UNT, of North Texas. North Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, University of North Texas. Because uh, I was like, that don't sound right. Yeah, so he teaches there, and he's a, a Shankarian scholar. Quote, unquote. Like one too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know what he looked like? That's what I was going to say earlier. You know what he looked like? What? Picture any civil rights era movie. Nah, yeah, for real. Turner? Summer, Lord Summer, anything, right? Mm-hmm. He don't look like one of the police officers at the station <laughs> or the sheriff. He looked just like that. Pull up his picture. He looked just. <laughs> I was like, he he looked like he from Mississippi. There ain't nothing wrong with Mississippi. I'm just saying, like he looked like <laughs> he looked like he he go to clan meetings. He do. Um, no, no. And, and and his his response stuck out because it was incredibly racist. Um, See, it was incredibly racist and it was flawed. I mean, first of all, you know he. I'll get into the second thing he wrote because he wrote something in the in the Journal of Shankarian Studies. He also wrote something for I believe the National Association of Scholars. Um, and you know he said that he's trying to be silenced by a Twitter mob, um, and they're trying to prevent him from engaging in a scholarly debate. Now listen, let's talk about scholarship. First mm. of all, y'all y'all allowed people to submit anonymous responses to a, to a scholarly to a, to a scholarly journal. Oh, this is like some a... of the responses was like I think one response was like a paragraph. Like, yeah, it was a paragraph, a whole yeah. paragraph. I'm like, like, like it was prepared by the shade room. Mind, <laughs> mind you, 
Mind you, you cited Wikipedia in your thing. Are we talking about exactly. scholarly discourse? Yeah, you scholarly know what? discourse. And you cited a Wikipedia article that has citations. You could have gone, all you had to do was click on the footnote. And I want exactly. every high school in America to stand up and you stand, <laughs> you stand up and you say, I will cite Wikipedia. Because there are people with doctorates. And you say, yes, on my bibliography, that is www.google.com. And, and what and about it? it? And is. And it is. Backslash nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. I want every high school in America from here on out. One source on your bibliography. That, that's it. In MLA. And Comic Sans. Period. <laughs> Completely problematic. So, so here's... Um, his response and you know i annotated this junk because it was there's just so much to unpack here mm-hmm. um so you know he within the first paragraph uh, accuses uh professor yule of scapegoating shanker and shankarians for the paucity of african-americans in the field of music theory and so since we got since we got a a, a music theory <laughs> trailblazer genius whatever you want to call him uh person. here because i'm wondering What'd you say? i said person okay nope <laughs> He's a music theory person, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I'm just wondering, like, so he's saying, you know, you scapegoat and shanker and and shakarians because he, in the in you know the talk, Dr. Yule talks about um, how a lot of shankarians have have whitewashed shanker's uh, yeah. racist views um, by you know putting them off to the side, and we'll get to that later. Um, putting them off to the side. Um, and uh, not really putting them in conversation with his actual analysis. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering, like, what role does Shankarian analysis or like his his ideas? Is there a correlation between the like the scarcity of of black people in music theory, whether that's a direct relationship or an indirect one? Because he's trying to say it's not it's not at all related. I don't think. In- I think it can be somewhat related. I don't think it's just, you know, okay, Schenker analysis that right. is this thing that prevents black people or other cultures from being in uh, music theory. We have to remember this, uh, the director of the National Association for Music Educators, when he, during a board meeting, he says something along the lines Showed of, um, like, like blacks and Latinos, uh, normally aren't good at they normally don't have theory or keyboard skills or something like that yeah that was theory keyboard yeah so he said something like that and i'm pretty sure his ideas weren't you know based in like sharing care analysis or anything like that but there's this like uh prevailing viewpoint uh outside of these races really uh amongst people in academia within music that you know black people don't do music theory and the problem with that is one that's just problematic but that idea starts to seep into these communities so black people, we look at ourselves as people who aren't capable of doing that stuff or it's not for us, right? And uh, other communities probably do the same thing. So looking at uh, Shankar analysis is basically like, uh, it was developed in order to really try to explain what was going on in music beyond just saying, okay, this is a one chord, this is a four chord, this is a five. Even though he uses Roman numeral, you use Roman numeral analysis when you're doing it. Um, it's basically like that tool that was supposed to go beyond that, really trying to get like a more holistic view of the musical interactions going on the piece, um, how we can find things that are like, like probably buried beneath what we would call like the surface of the music and then try to like bring that stuff out in our uh, analysis. They call them graphs, Shanker graphs. Uh, if you've ever seen one, some of them were in this uh, 
in this uh, journal response, a couple of people put like their own shankographs or shankographs of uh, different works, like Susanna Clark uh, put a few of them in um, her response. So yeah, that's, that's uh, I can go more into detail about what it is, but if you, if you were to see it, it's not just like you take the cores and then you just put analysis over it and then circle the non-core tones or something like that. It's really trying to, you know, get a more holistic view of the piece. But the problem is even in saying that, saying that this thing is trying to get at like, um, you know, like a complete view of what's going on in the piece. You, uh, and I think Suzanne Clark points out how uh, Kofi Agawu, who is a, 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 I guess he's a, a theory history scholar, but mostly music theory, um, African guy. He, he kind of points out uh, in, in the 80s at this point, like I think in 84 that people are using this thing to describe what's going on in music. And what happens is you start to ignore a lot of things that go on in the music that other people will pay attention to. And what happens with this sort of like analysis where you're showing these musical interactions and you are grading them based on like hierarchy and you say it's a low ground, middle ground, foreground, all this stuff. I don't think, uh, you I, I can't remember exactly what he says. I don't think that has to be based and uh, racism, like to say, okay, this stuff's happening in the background, things come out from that. But the ideas, period, from Shanker are rooted in racism. But yeah, what a guy was saying and others have been saying is that if we use this method of analysis to be able to show all this stuff, what happens is like this uh, people who uh, purport to say Shanker analysis works and it, it does all this stuff, what happens is you try to fit everything to fit the analysis. And if he says that these 12 great composers, I think all but two of them are German. Um, you got like Bach, Mozart, Beethoven, German, Austrian, whatever. And I think two of them, I think it's Scarlatti and Chopin um, and his like master works because uh, Chopin was Polish, right? And Scarlatti is Italian. So other than them, everybody is German. And I think even with them, he kind of gives them as an exception. Like, yeah, they were geniuses, even though they weren't German um, and some other stuff, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, what the, what the problem is, is like you're using this tool to show like genius. You're trying to show a good piece of music, right? And if it doesn't fit this thing, if you've developed the tool to kind of show what happens in common practice music, because he didn't like atonal music either. So if you're trying to show what happens in common practice music by these great German composers, so-called these geniuses, that's a word uh, that comes up in a lot of translations or what he uh, describes these geniuses, it's like, what about music that doesn't adhere to these principles? Because basically his background structure of most pieces is to say, okay, this thing has a one, five, one progression in the background. That's what you can really uh, boil it down to with his theory. Like, of course, there's more, it's more nuanced than that, but yeah, you basically hear like the one, five, one mm -hmm. progression and then everything <clears throat> else is like, if that's the seed, everything else in the piece of music is born out from that. But what about pieces of music that don't have like five, one as a, as a structural cadence point? What about like gospel music that doesn't uh, that ends with this uh, plagal cadence, which I argue in my dissertation is structural. If we're going to look at it that way, that doesn't mean it, if, if it doesn't adhere to a principle, then it's somehow deficient. But if you try to apply this tool to everything and you try to make everything fit in this box, like I can't tell you uh, when I was doing my dissertation, uh, I'm sorry, my the comprehensive exams, part of my comprehensive exam was to sit there and read all these articles and uh, I think it was like 30 different things on jazz uh, harmony. And maybe half of them were people trying to do shanker graphs of jazz music. And when I tell you, it's, it's, <laughs> it was one of the, like, the most useless things I've seen. And in terms of just like one reading, I had to just sit there and read that. It was interesting reading it, but it's like, 
they're trying to it's, it's like they're trying to contort themselves in such ways mm-hmm. just to make the analysis make sense and it's like why are you doing that first enjoy it it's a piece of music and then after that sit there if it doesn't do the five one that you're looking for and this little line at the top they call the early like say that over the one five one you see three two one and it's basically like the music composes out this three two one line and then on all these articles you saw in these jazz articles they couldn't find a two so what they do kept trying to like make it fit and then they got this thing even in classical music where they'd be like if it's no two it's an imaginary two there and i'm just like hey yeah what's his dude yeah. that, that dude curly he left some imaginary i remember that yeah boy I, I, I understand like when you can have like an implied harmony like let's say i hear five one and there's no third in the five i can kind of infer that it's still a five to one progression right but i'm not going to say that it's, it's a really a, a two over there i'm just going to say okay this harmony is basically a dominant to tonic progression whatever cool and i'm not going to think like okay uh in the graph that this this note was really here or if it was in the bass voice and the soprano had the leading tone then i'm really going to say that bass voice had the two and it draw these lines and dotted lines and slurs for what what is it really what is it telling you like sometimes these graphs and these analyses i had to take a course on this a phd level course on this at eastman um with a uh with professor at eastman uh marvin not uh elizabeth west marvin, bill marvin? But bill marvin so we took this course and really you know went into all these things i'm trying to help and i was thinking marvin said so oh no no <laughs> i'm trying to help like oh marvin <laughs> But no, we sit there and we go over, you know how much time you spend like drawing these things, like sitting there trying to figure out all this stuff that's going on in the music. And I will sit there for like hours just doing one analysis of one movement of a piece, sometimes like 32 measures of some Chopin uh, prelude or something. And then at the end, I'm like, what the hell did I just do? Like I've sat here for a long time doing, and I'm pretty sure students feel that way too. On a regular level, it's like you put a bunch of chords underneath something. It's like, what am I supposed to do next with this? You know, and so that's that's uh, that's something we could talk about later. But it's it's a problem within music theory where it's like, yes, we can we can talk about this stuff, but what is it really going to do for somebody long term? What is this thing doing for the world at large? If you make a student take this thing, like you said, take two semesters of it, buy the book, and do all this stuff. What do you do with it later? Like if you take 400 students that's gone through Eastman's uh, theory program and you give them a year after they finish and then bring them into a room and ask them some basic questions about theory, how much of it will people remember? Like how many times have you had your studio teacher talk about the stuff you learned in theory class? How many times has like Verone at Eastman or any other conductor talked about theory stuff when they talk about how you phrase a piece? Nobody does that. So it's like, and this is me kind of going in on my own field, but it's like, how do we justify what we do if nobody's going to be able to use this beyond the classroom? You know what I mean? So with this Shanker stuff, uh, going back to him, it's like we sit there and we, we sit, uh, put these analyses together. And like I said, it's not saying you can't get something out of these analyses, but saying that this method, if it's derived from somebody who had racist ideals and purported that the German race was this big thing and they they king of everything and let me just also say this about him and talking about like uh, uh, tim jackson saying that he was he was jewish so how could he be anti-semitic we have a candace uh. we have hershey walkers out here these people that are black they are not they don't have the black community's interest in their uh the best interest in their heart you are you will always have people that are self-hating 
and within any part of society. So don't just say, okay, that's almost like when we kind of similar to when someone says, I can't be racist, I got a black friend. Like, no, you can still have bad ideologies um, and be part of a cultural group um, and not have your cultural group's best interests at heart. So and anybody else's because he that's one of the reasons why he says i mean there i'll get into how he excuses some of the p- things that we've heard uh from shanker that katie that katie said earlier mm-hmm. um first first he accuses uh dr yule of falsifying and misconstruing um shanker's words i'm like they were literally quotes and also i find it funny how you talking about misconstruing and falsifying and, and misinterpreting X, Y, and Z. He has an interview, which by the way, I will link actually, will I link it? You can Google it because I'm not going to give that no more views, whatever. <laughs> if you want to see it, you can Google it. I'm not going to link it. Um, on a podcast and he's talking to a guy and this is a podcast, one of those like free speech, like, you know, somebody who's, who, he's trying to say that he's canceled. You still have your job. Nobody called your mama a hoe. You still got your house. Like you're fine. Like <laughs> you, you literally teach music theory. Nothing. Happened you are to you. not canceled. Nothing happened to you. Like you're not canceled. <laughs> so he went on this, he went on this um, podcast and the guy is not a musician and you don't have to be a musician or a music theorist to understand this, to understand the situation. If you, if someone explains it to you in layman's terms. And so he explains it. I felt like he was purposely explaining it badly to the guy because so the guy, he was like, okay, let me try to get this straight. So he's saying that notes are racist and tim jackson's like yeah i I don't know man i don't get it either and it's like you wrote a whole freaking response on it you wrote several things about it you filed a a lawsuit behind it Mm -hmm. and so you know what he's saying and you're taking advantage of the fact that you're talking to somebody who's not gonna know the ins out and not gonna be able to read this and 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 connect it to anything you're taking advantage of that and purposely misconstruing it so that everybody who also sees this is going to be able to um is, is is not going to be able to grasp it in the way that Dr. Yule uh, uh, intended it to. So, you know, I left, I left me a little comment on there because people mm-hmm. was in the comments like, wow, I'm so glad you're bringing attention to this. And oh my goodness. And I was like, so anyway, this is a bastardization of his- uh, <laughs> he, got a, he got a red hat on his desk somewhere. So, I'll bet you. Know. Bet. Because he, he goes on to say, you know, um, one of the reasons why he excuses it is because Shankar was Jewish and he said, well, you know, um, he said that a lot of Jewish people, just because they're white skinned is what he used, white skinned, um, does not mean that they identify with whiteness and you don't have to identify with whiteness to be white. No. <laughs> <laughs> what? Just cause they yeah. don't self identify as white or your pro- proximity to whiteness, even if you're not Jewish, even if you're not white proximity mm-hmm. to whiteness mm-hmm. is a thing for We've white passing people black like people right yeah. for we, white latinos i met dark-skinned black people who do stuff like that, that exactly will, that will like latch on to like white supremacist ideas or at least white prejudice ideas within the most uh, they won't even realize like how self-hating it is which dr yule talks about in his talk he talks about his father who also had a lot of um a lot of like of these ideas that he probably wouldn't even have realized or rooted in white supremacy because he was a a a scholar um and so i just was like that that's one of the things that he um that he talks about is like oh well you know uh he was jewish so he didn't really 
they were they were considered other and absolutely at this time like you know this is a little bit before before the holocaust happened so like obviously at this time like like jewish people were facing persecution nobody is denying that but that doesn't mean that just because you were facing persecution doesn't mean that you couldn't have been prejudiced through another group these are literally like quotes that he said another reason why he says that it's it's fine or whatever it's just we should just chalk it up to the game is a quote (laughs) He said, furthermore, it must be recognized that racist and genocidal thinking was common amongst German elect- intellectuals in the late 20th century forward. Genocidal thinking is not normal. <laughs> Let's get that straight. And just y'all want to normalize it so that y'all don't get, y'all don't have to be accountable for committing genocide. That's not the same thing. And, and that's also not an excuse. Oh, everybody was thinking about genocide. So <laughs> what? And to say, um, and so he said, therefore, um, just letting the same paragraph, because he goes into like, this genocide happened, and he goes into the background of a genocide committed by German people. He says, well, Germans did this genocide, and they did this one, then they, they consulted with another thing, like another country consulted with them about their genocide. I'm like, y'all had genocide consultants? Like, what are we doing? So he's trying to say that genocide was a normal, quote unquote, well, common is the word he used, a common thing um, for Germans at this time. And he says, therefore, we should not at all be surprised by some of Schenker's earlier statements. We should very much be surprised. And and it's like, just because, just because everybody was racist at the time does not make, does not make it better because there were people who realized that this was wrong. You can't, you know, so it's like. He had people telling him, like, when he was trying to publish his idea, and this, these are the ideas that people basically started to take out when American uh, music theory really was trying to take off, uh, or people in uh, American music theory were trying to, like, use his ideas to kind of uh, use America to further his ideas. There were people telling him, like, yo, you, you probably, just like with, basically think of it like this, when people be telling Trump, like, hey, you probably shouldn't tweet that. And he'd be like, no, nah, I'm going to do it anyway. This is what he was doing. It's like, yeah, you probably shouldn't put that part about, like, mm-hmm. the, the mongrels or the, the, the black people sucked or something like that. You probably shouldn't do that. And he was still like, no, nah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to still put it in there. <laughs> and it's like, and you, and as a scholar, you sitting there like, nah, but we still want to take his ideas. It's just like, like, what are y'all doing? Like, how do you ignore something like that and just say, like, like you said, just uh, uh, we're just going to make it, like, chalk it up to the game or something like that. Yeah. It's like when people say uh, everybody had slaves back in the 1700s. That don't make it okay. Mm-hmm. And, and he does the same, like, he'll go, he says, because he was a German nationalist, obviously, he had, he said a lot of, of terrible things about not just black people, about other, about other um, races, other nationalities. He says that he has... Um, He says, um, to be sure, the Great War provides the essential framework within which one must interpret Schenker's earlier anti-French, anti-British, anti-American, and and also anti-Black comments in his diary and letters. Um, Indeed, readers of Schenker's diary cannot ignore the extent and breadth of its offers uh, virulent, visceral hatred of the French. And then he puts a white race in italics, like to emphasize, oh, well, he he hated everybody. So, (laughs) like, what so he puts he he was anti-french he was anti-black he was anti-british and anti-american and so like yeah he wrote well he wrote a bunch of stuff against against french people too and they're white so you know and he says his diet his diatribes against his diatribes against the french fill pages italics of his diary with the most disgusting vituperative long entries that make his few anti-black comments scattered here and there pale in relative insignificance 
This dude sound he was down bad. Imagine going to your diary at the end of the day and being like, well, those French. Like, that's weird. That is weird. But to say, like, this, that just amazes me that you can look at all the terrible things that he said and be like, well, he, he said more things about French people. First of all, you should be mad about those too. Yeah. It's not just be like, how are you going to be like, well, he, he only said a couple of anti, he only, he only said a couple of anti-black things. They're insignificant because he said more things about white people. Why are you not like, he shouldn't be calling anybody a savage or a primitive race or like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Wait, so yeah. Richard, do, are Americans the main ones who censor Shanker? You said censure? Center. Oh, to centers. I would say, yes. Uh, if you look at other other countries it's not like that is it's not part of like the way they view music there at least the way i uh remember it because i don't look at like it that much outside of what we do over here but yeah it's it's if you go to other countries and you see what they do and even like when it was coming up like people were like yo y'all y'all doing that shanker stuff over there that's kind of how it is um within the uh within the theory world like other papers when people give talks or do music theory and other countries it's not as widespread as far as like a mode of thinking within music theory, like it is in America. Um, and we get, like I said, in, in undergrad stuff, you get Shanker light. Like when you, when you analyze something, you see a credential six, four, and then you put like five, six, four to five, three, instead of putting as two different chords and one, six, four to five, like that comes from like a Shanker mm-hmm. analysis or like that kind of thought that says, okay, uh, these two things uh, are really just like an expansion, that idea of like expanding dominant, expanding tonic and all these other prolongation and all this mm-hmm. stuff like that. Like those ideas come from that. So yeah, within the music, uh, music theory in the American Academy, like is, is very much uh, an integral part of how people analyze tonal music. But a lot of those ideas uh, seep into a tonal analysis because of some of these people like Alan Fort were, uh, they did like Shankar analysis and things like that, but you know, they also did post-tonal analysis. So yeah, you start to see those ideas, like, like really envelop a lot of the work that people do within tonal music in America. What you like? I um, was ass backwards with everything. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, probably, that's probably why they love me. I was like, oh, hey, he was racist too. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Cherry on top. What are our people? Come, come. It's so bad. And then, what other part? It was another part he started. Uh, I got to pull it up. But this is a, it's another part where he's talking about, like, how Yule's comments are part of, like, a larger problem of black on Jewish. Go ahead, Delaney. Go, no, because, I, you know, I annotated this because I was yeah. like, let me see. Because it's just so much. So he goes into how classical music, how Shanker's... Um, music uh his approach to music is a non-racial meritocracy we hear this all the time what about the quality it's just because y'all not you know it's it's just about quality it's about nothing else well, it's Dr. very convenient for people in power people part of groups that aren't marginalized to sit there and say okay let's just ignore the bad stuff because yeah when we try when people try to say that about uh about r kelly and bill cosby or something it was like no he, they're monsters which they are but you don't hear that same thing like Look how look how long they've been trying to get Woody Allen out, you know, the picture and stuff like that. They ain't cancel him. So when this is is uh when this when there's people that are part of these groups that are benefiting from this stuff, 
they are quick to say, okay, yeah, let's let's keep doing it, but let's just ignore the the, the bad mm-hmm. parts. It's like, mm-hmm. come on, man. Yeah, and he goes and and he's talking about like how um, it's a it's a meritocracy. It what matters is your ability to understand like these progressions or whatever. And it's like, but you kind of set. I feel like if you set that up based on uh, racist I- ideologies, which Doctor Ewell talks about in his talk, he he does he goes into the parallel between his racist ideologies and how that translates to his analysis. Yeah. Um, but that's something that that um, that uh, Professor Jackson says in here. He's like. Well, um, he says, what did he say? He said, it's possible and even desirable to separate the technical, musical, analytical aspects of Shanker's theory from his uh, philosophical, political, and aesthetic claims. I'm like, yes, of course it's desirable because you could just keep doing it. Right. Um, And he very much uh, also contradicts himself because he says that um, Yule says, he, he, he said that Dr. Yule proceeds to construct his conspiracy theory that Shanker's immediate followers sought to conceal his racist views by banishing them to the appendices of their, like, of their writings about him. So, so you know, basically he's saying that, um, that it's, it's wrong, it's, a, it's an incorrect um, observation to say that they intentionally tried to cover up what Shanker's racism by putting in the appendices. One sentence later, it says, well, they decided to move these paragraphs to the appendices because they were afraid they would needlessly prejudice readers against Shaker's important theory of musical structure. Why would they do that if they weren't racist? Exactly. <laughs> why would they put them in the appendices? Why, why would they be afraid of people reading what he said and putting them in the appendices if they were perfectly fine? <laughs> what are you saying? And and he puts like racist and, and quotation marks every time he talks about Shanker being racist, but never actually cites any of the racist things that he says. And then you say, oh, well, they were racist, but they were racist to everybody, so it doesn't matter. No. Then why not call why not call him what it is? He also later on goes to argue that um, both of these people who put these things in the appendices of that work, they did they they didn't know about the racist comments. I thought they he were did. Shankarians. Surely they've read his diaries. They they knew (laughs) what it was. They knew, especially classical musicians. You know, they know his favorite food, his eye color, his thing he did on Sundays. Right. How many blue hairs he had. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They know exactly what it is. Like it was, it was a concerted effort from most people who were the adherents of his, uh, his practice or, or. Uh, his technique or like direct students of his they were very much influenced by so these people like Ernst Oster, Felix Salsa, all of them like trying to yeah just basically kind of ignore the fact that he was putting this stuff in there they knew it was bad and they're just like okay we're gonna ignore it for that we we want the ideas we we don't want to worry about the problematic aspects but the problem with that is one we cannot divorce the the person from you know what they were doing while they did this stuff we have to put in context. Now, you let those people who want to consume it make the choice for themselves. But when you take the choice away from the person mm-hmm. who's going through it, so like you talk about uh, R. Kelly, you talk about a Wagner, you talk about all these problems like Kant, um, these philosophers that have racist ideals. Um, if you talk about them and you take out the stuff, mm. one, you are tacitly admitting that these ideas are problematic enough to sway a person's thinking when they are reading it. Mm-hmm. Also, you are uh, you are basically saying the reader, no matter who they are, is not going to be um, intelligent enough, um, open minded enough to be able to make a decision for themselves. If somebody knows 
you know, this person has these problematic ideas and they are okay with it, then you let them do that. They are now they are problematic as well. But, you know, if they're just okay with it or if now they want to get a more nuanced perspective, which I think Philip Ewell was ultimately calling for, because he even says like towards the end or at the very end that it's not just like, okay, this stuff has to all just go out the window. But we do need to rethink what's going on. And honestly, a lot of these people is just like they've been doing uh, we, the way we analyze music today largely is not, uh, has been unchanged. I don't want to say it hasn't like gone through some evolution and everything, but the way we analyze classical music when we've been adding things and in, uh, into and everything, it's been going on for a long time. Mm -hmm. And you are basically telling people who are, are very, Tim Jackson is one of them, who are very much invested and believe in this stuff. You are telling them basically like God is not real. Like you were showing them like, hey, this thing, you need to change this thing. You're trying to tell them that something they believed in um, for all their life or for all their career, they have to do something different. Like look mm -hmm. at football players when they get injured, you know, and then or they have to retire and they don't know what to do next with their life. Look at a lot of people when they when their way of living has to just dramatically change. And with this stuff is is even more potent because it's like now we're saying that it has to change because the way we've been doing is problematic. But if you don't believe the idea is a, a truly racist, right? Why is it that when people come in and some this isn't just limited to Jackson, if you come in and say, okay, we're going to build anti-racism into the music classroom, and the first thing you do is get defensive, what does that say about you? Like if someone you came to like. my, huh? I told you what he looked like. Yeah, basically. <laughs> so if somebody came into, like they said in my apartment, we're going to come by with a bomb sniffing dog around the hallways. I'm like, okay, cool. Because I don't have a bomb in my apartment. So if you were sitting there thinking like, yeah, these we're going to have to build anti-racism or, you know, people talking about like social justice, where all this stuff like that. Yes, a very small percentage of these social justice groups will go too far and do everything like that. But a lot of times what happens is people latch on to the extremists within the organization or within a group in order to be able to, to uh, you know, uh, defend their point to say, okay, this person is going too far doing all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And again, Yule is not calling for that. But the the larger issue with uh, him being able to say that about Yule is that he wants to be able to basically keep things the same. He wants to be able to use this stuff and just go back to the way things were and then throwing a few black people, throwing a few other examples, get more black, uh, black people to uh, do analysis or something like that. Because another, I think it was either him or someone else was like, yeah, they want uh, to see like uh, see him publish a good Shanker graph or something like that. And I'm like, that is not the point. Mm. Like, that's right. not the point at all. Like if somebody complains about like gun control or something, and then your first thing is like, have you ever shot a gun? It's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, why are you even, what's the, that's not the, that's not the point. Like you, you are getting really far away from the point. So mm -hmm. to say that in that kind of way, um, let's see what you can do or something like that. I want to see you do a good Shanker graph or I want to see yeah. you do a graph for some black music. Cause it's, it was one other person that said that. And I'm like, how do you not see that you are getting worse right now? <laughs> I don't, I don't understand that. That's when he bring up the what you what you was just about to say um, about the anti-Semitism. He says, your scapegoating of Shanker, Shankarians, and Shankarian analysis occurs in the much larger context of Black-on-Jew attacks in the United oh States. 
Um, and he, he says that given the history of racism against African-Americans, there's a strong tendency today to excuse or downplay these phenomena, these phenomena, but they are real and toxic. And I'm like, bro, you literally just spent, this is on the fifth page of his thing. You spent four full pages excusing racism, blatant yeah. racism, and then be like, well, you know, the blacks, they're, they're anti-Semitic and um, y'all excuse it because of slavery. What are we saying? And, and then... Oh, no, go on. ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to say one. First of all, bringing in the the black on Jew thing, that's the same thing people have done in, in outside of music or music theories when they say, okay, this thing is going on. If black people complain about something. Then they say, what about black on black crime? What about when black people do that? And it's like, first, that's not the point. Second, saying that uh, you're uh, attacking Shanker is him attacking Jewish uh, Jewish people. He's trying to tie that into his fact that, uh, tie that into his earlier point about saying that, well, Schenker was Jewish, so he couldn't be racist. So when you attack Schenker, you're really attacking Jewishness, not anti, uh, anti-blackness or whatever it is. That's what you're basically doing. So bringing in that black on Jew uh, attack or discussion is, I mean, that's, it's, it's really dangerous at that point mm-hmm. because uh, Philip Yu is not saying that at all. He's not, he's not attacking, first of all, he's not attacking Jewishness. He's not attacking German people. He's attacking these ideas that kind of proliferate that uh, through uh, through the academy and music theory, particularly in America. That's what he's trying to say. If if you have this person Shanker that's analyzed all these pieces and says that all these genius composers do this thing in tonal music, they go one five one, they resolve these things, all this stuff like that. Then when people learn music and they learn to analyze, they're going to learn to analyze based on this ideology. Even if you take the racist words out of it the way in which we analyze is going to be largely viewed, like you said earlier, through that frame. So when we go through and analyze pieces, what happens when you analyze uh, like a Robert Glasper work that doesn't give you a dominant at all? Doesn't even give you a notion, a lot of neo-soul music that doesn't even give you a notion of like tonic to dominant motion or something. Now you're looking at it because you're looking at everything as a deviation from something as opposed to looking at it contextually as it is in and of its own self. So now you are trying to fit everything into this box. And like I said, when it doesn't fit, you're saying, okay, now it doesn't work and it goes away from that. And even for myself and my teaching, I'm trying to get away from that by saying like, I teach my students, okay, these are ways we can uh, kind of make tonal progressions and within the key of C major and do all this stuff. I tell them about like how composers didn't do parallel fifths and how they use a two chord going to five, all this stuff like that. Also teach them the fact that Jazz and a lot of black music that we listen to, a lot of tonal music, popular music we listen to, would not exist the way it does without the uh, influence of uh, colonialism. It just is a fact. Like the jazz music, the way people do things in jazz, if we don't know how it would sound. Like black music would sound if you know we weren't brought over here as slaves. We just we don't know that. So we have to contend with the fact that yeah, we compose in this style and we we do all these things um, in this way, but it's this dude is very problematic like it's so much like i said to to get into but anyway to go back to the uh to the to the anti uh to the black on jew thing it's like that has nothing to do with it like that entire paragraph has nothing to do with yule's point it comes way at a at a left field and also by that logic if shanker can't be racist because he was jewish then philip yule can't be racist because he's black <laughs> you see how dumb the, and, and you would argue against that because exactly 
Like, what are you saying? And of course, he brings up he brings up the obnoxious lyrics of hip hop songs. Which again, this is him attacking. Now he's now he's just downright attacking black music, black culture, whatever. Yes, there's problematic aspects in that, but the fact that he he goes in like that on black music. No, but you know (laughs) the fact that he goes in on black (laughs) music like that, the black lyrics, all this stuff like that, and mentions Shanker's racism and his racist comments, but always puts a but after it. Yeah, he did this stuff, but we can do this. Mm-hmm. So why can't we, even if you're going to talk about the uh, hip-hop stuff, first of all, it does not belong in your response. It has nothing to do with anything. But if you have talk, no agency to speak on that. They're... No, none at all. None at all. And you're going to talk about that, and you're going to say, okay, you know, these musics do that. So why is it that we can't ignore those parts, those bad uh, parts of Hip hop, and then still be able to enjoy it or do something like that. But again, I don't even want to have that argument with them because that that mm-hmm. entire part. I mean, I don't know. This, the entire essay shouldn't exist, but the entire part shouldn't be in there because they talk about this as peer reviewed and doing all this stuff like that. Look at the large percentage of, of people that's going in like this. Um, looking at all the people that's a, the person that emailed. Uh, What's her name? Megan Levengood, I think. She's a theorist that finished at uh, CUNY. I don't know what she teaches now, but like sent the the email uh, in the middle of the night or something like that. These individuals are are so invested in this stuff. And it's like the the only thing you can do is the only recourse they have is to sit there and pull things out their ass to just be able to say, all right, this this is going to make sense in my argument. Like mm-hmm. black on you, 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 you're black and you're attacking this guy. So you are somehow uh, racist yourself, or you are basically doing the same thing um, a hip hop artist does when he cites like a, a Jewish person taking over the media or something like that. Mm-hmm. Nothing also, to do with it. He cites the misogyny and rap music um, Wikipedia article, which wi- Wikipedia though. Mm-hmm. And we can get into that why there's there's a misogyny on rap music Wikipedia article, but nobody wants to go into this misogyny in so pretty much any genre of music yeah, that has text. Opera. Yeah, opera, rock music, like come on, bro. But you know what? He has some solutions. He says that um that uh, Dr. Yule has no he is uninterested in bringing blacks up to standards so that they can compete. So that's his uh recommendation. Right there, that article should have been burned just for that comment. <laughs> just for that comment. Like they should have printed it out and burnt the joint in front of them. Just for, just, <laughs> just for saying that. Um and he says I would like to propose some genuine solutions. Um he said, be that as it may. I would like to propose that genuine solutions lie elsewhere, especially by the African-American community, establishing different priorities. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, I, so basically, so he goes on to argue, I mean, he says that black people, a lot of um, uh, black people grow up in, uh, in a lot of people don't grow up in homes that classical music is profoundly valued and therefore they lack the necessary background. Uh, we our, our episode last week was about gatekeeping and some of the ways in which that person was gatekeeping in their presentation at the Texas uh, Music Education Association was by requiring musical background, also, you know, stable home, all oh, that kind the, of thing. Uh, the bassoonist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, musical background <laughs> of whatever. You, first, you don't have to have, your family does not have to have a background in classical music for you to go into classical music. Right. I feel like I would, all I would three get of us are an example of that. 
Yeah. But also, I was able to say, I was able to say that the majority of classical musicians do not have do not come from a family of musicians. There are some that do, but I feel like there are very few people I know that are in classical music that whose parents were musicians. I they think for him, he's not even even saying like they got to be musicians. When he talks about, because he said, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he says value, right? Yeah, yeah. Because some people uh, is like a lot of uh, households you might have it like being played in the background, yeah. or it's just like something you might go to concerts, like because you'll see it at like field oh, concerts or something, and you'll see a family bring it. They might none of them might be like professional musicians or anything like that, mm. but it's part of that. But no, that's probably because okay. If we take that same comment and reverse it back on him, who gives you the authority to talk about misogyny and rap lyrics? Did you have hip hop in your house? Clearly, looking at me, does not. So it's just like, come on, like, <laughs> if that's if that's the thing, like we could we could uh, put that argument on anybody, but no, exactly. And and to say that we need different priorities, he he acknowledges. He says, okay, um, there may be some some systemic barriers in the American society at large, but he says low socioeconomic status does not preclude any racial group from doing so, from, from uh, putting their, their kids in music. Uh, low socioeconomic status does not preclude any racial group from doing so. Poverty does not prevent setting priorities. It is, uh, it is. He, 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 Girl. He'll, he'll actually get along with B. Simone. I mean, he, he need, he's talking about, <laughs> we need to manifest ourselves. Manifest <laughs> Manifest that bassoon. He said it's not solely a matter of money. So so poverty does not prevent setting priorities. Listen, you how dare you eat dinner tonight? You need to prioritize your cello lesson on Friday. <laughs> what the what are you also, I hate people who are with money who say stuff like this. Money is a factor in everything in America. Yes. I mean, I would say everywhere, but I, since I don't live everywhere, I can't say that. But literally, money will always be a factor. It will yeah. always be a factor. What are you saying? And like, even and in the, the, the music thing, like, look at the, I can't remember who did it. I don't know if one of y'all was telling me somebody, but there was, uh, I, I was looking at something that was showing, like, the rate at which black schools had their music programs taken out from like the 80s up till now or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, someone did that study compared mm -hmm. to like white schools when they were uh, taking out music programs from like all schools. Like that comparison between schools that were predominantly uh, low income or uh, black um, or basically uh, a school that was predominantly white versus other schools. So you have a child that grows up like I've had when I was teaching public school, I had students that probably never had a music class or a music teacher mm -hmm. until they saw me. And I was teaching yep. middle school at that time. Mm -hmm. Or I was teaching high schoolers or something. And these students had never had like a, 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 a music class. So they've never had like somebody sitting there singing with them in third grade, fourth grade. A lot of them had the, didn't have the opportunity to sing in a choir. Maybe if it was church or something like that. But like sitting there in that kind of uh, community-based setting, like a, a school environment, public school environment, learning music, it's not a thing. Like, so you can't just be like, okay, you're just supposed to do this. I, I, I want to say, it's probably most like, uh, uh, but or at least let me say, uh, many um, predominantly African American schools don't have that. And if they do, the students don't get it all the time. They might get music maybe in second grade, then they don't get it until uh, fifth grade again or sixth grade. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you can't just say, okay, they're supposed to just be able to do this. So when you have a student who is able to go on to to college and do all this stuff like that, they could be a phenomenal performer. And I've seen this. I've seen many people come through Howard University who are excellent performers, excellent musicians. And then after that, they don't have these so-called tools that you need um, in order to do analysis. And that gets into a, a, 
a bigger point about what does it mean to be able to uh, use music or what actually what is music theory? Because I always argue with my students and everybody else that music, this, the way we learn music theory right now, where we just talked about these textbooks and everything, that is a way somebody has been able to um, codify music and be able to explain mm -hmm. the musical interaction with it. So when you go to like a, a, a mega church in Chicago and you hear all these church musicians playing all that stuff on the stage, you hear Corey Henry playing organ, everything. And then after that, if these people can't read music, does this somehow make what they do more deficient? You know what I mean? If they can't sit there and tell you like the build a shanker graph and do all this analysis of the music, because I've had like gospel musicians come up and say, hey, can you teach me theory? And I hesitate because I'm not sure if it's like me giving them, because they already have a theory in their mind. Mm -hmm. They know how these chord progressions work. They know why they're using these chord progressions. They know all these songs. They know all this stuff. They have vocabulary. Uh, already a musical vocabulary that lets them understand the musical interactions that's around them. They might not be able to articulate it the way, when I say articulate, I don't mean educate. I mean, they might not be able to tell you the musical interactions in a way that you might be able to put it down in this theory book. But when they, when those musicians talking to each other and they, they tell the bass player, play the two, they might not be able to say like play the supertonic or something like that. But they know exactly what to do when they say that. So that music theory is a language that is used to be able to describe what's going on in a particular field of music. Or even if you wanted to describe everything, you wanted to describe Peking opera over in China, you wanted to describe compa music in uh, Haiti, you wanted to describe reggae in Jamaica, if you wanted to describe um, classical music, okay, build a system that is able to do that. But if it doesn't fall inside the purview of what we call traditional tonal analysis, don't make it seem like, well, yeah, y'all just got to level up. It's like, no, this is right. one thing. It's a language. Like when people study uh, <clears throat> something like linguistics or something, they don't just study American uh, English. They study a lot of things. When we study etymology, where the words come from and everything else like that, we don't stop at the first instance it was done in America. We sit there and do the entire thing. But if for some reason, when it comes to this stuff, when you tell people, hey, like, okay, you've been doing this thing for a long time. You've been doing this music uh music theory for a while now we need to change it up a little bit and then after that it's like all of a sudden it's like yo get away from me you attacking me you trying to cancel me and it's like if you didn't make that response you had an open mind and tried to really you know listen to what he was saying have an open dialogue about it but no you want to go in and talk about how black people need to do this and how he's really doing this black on jew crime and drive by the theory shootings and all this stuff i'm just like, okay <laughs> Like, I'm very shocked about all this stuff that's been coming out over the last year. Because like we said at the top of the show, like, I'm not in social media. Like, other than my email, like, I don't have an online presence. So when people are sitting there saying, like, oh, this thing happened. And I'm, people send me screenshots and articles and everything like that. And no, that's that's very, very weird. Like, this is like the theory forms are now like world star or something. It's just, it's, <laughs> it's very, very strange to me that, that that this is like a, a thing that people just saying, yo, like change, change. The, maybe we should change this stuff. And just uh, my last point about it. If people are saying like, or just in general, if we were trying to say, hey, we may need to reexamine this stuff. I think the people who give the strongest pushback. Um, yes, inertia is going to be part of it. We've been doing this thing for so long. It's hard to change it. Mm -hmm. But the I think the the larger problem with a lot of this stuff is the fact that 
people aren't i don't think people are ready for things to uh the possibility that you might have to burn some things to the ground like people are not ready for the fact that like yeah let's re-examine because as you i keep saying you did not say that we just need to do away with everything that we've been doing need to do away with all the forms of analysis we've done he's not saying that but the thing is if we re-examine it and as a field we just see the facts as it is that we need to really change a lot of this stuff writ large then we need to be ready to do that. Yes, it's going to mm-hmm. be hard. I'm doing this stuff myself. Like I've been, luckily I've been trying to do the changes more long-term. So like I have like years of examples where I've tried to pull things out of like TV shows or like, you know, jazz or black music and everything else like that. But it's like, I've been slowly over the last like four or five years coming to the realization that yeah, something maybe, maybe this stuff does really have to change drastically. And if it does, then we'll make that change because the world will be better for it right now. I'm not worried about myself in 2021. I'm worried about those students that are going to come after me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those students and, and the, those black students in 30 years, the students, period, in 30 years, are they still going to be doing this stuff? So, I don't know. That's the thing. Like you said, like, changing drastically. First of all, this, this field in general lo- loves incremental change. So they'll probably stop it. doing... They'll probably stop doing Shane Carey analysis in 30, 30, 36. So we can look forward to that. <laughs> and the second thing is to tie something back in from earlier is that the people who are uh, who are supposed to do this work are not equipped to do this work or like what Delaney said are fighting against it. Because old dude is still, is still teaching at uh, UNT. Like I looked yeah. it up. So apparently like he's been removed from like committees and stuff, but like he's not, he's still teaching there. So yeah. it's like... If you go, you come to old dude, you know, they finally, UNT finally gets ready to make some changes five years from now. You going to expect him to be, to spearhead that stuff? Or just, he's going to be part of the faculty. So who's like, if he teaches one student that this stuff is great and uh, these bad ideas, it's like, that's one too many. Right. So it's like, I don't, I feel like, yeah, I don't know. The people, people who are here who, who, who live and die for this stuff. You know, they they have to be they have to be a part of the transformation, and they're not equipped or ready or both to do that. Yeah. And, and you just imagine you you over here trying to figure out how you're gonna do your viola lessons, how you are gonna get a viola, and they be like, "Well, you just gotta prioritize it." Yeah. How am I prioritize myself to a thirty five thousand dollar instrument? What are you saying? Uh-huh. And, and you know, he's he talks about um, the fact that you know his grandparents they were poor, they were working class Jewish immigrants. They had an accent, and uh, somehow, somehow, with barely enough to eat, they found out how to, how to get some money to buy a, a, a violin and pay for lessons. And it's just like, why are you not realizing there are levels to this? Yeah, maybe yeah. somehow they 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 made a way. Not it. Sometimes there is simply just not enough. Yeah. <laughs> I hate that. I hate that stuff when people just act like, okay, well, you know. Because one person was able to do it. Yeah, I look at myself like the way like people I grew up with, like people that didn't like either finish high school or people that you know didn't go into college or people that didn't finish college. Like I don't look at myself as like okay, yeah, I did all this other stuff outside of it, and then somehow I'm better. Why didn't they finish or do anything like that? There are impediments that are deeply rooted in 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 systemic racism that will prevent people from doing. Let's say just uh, with white culture. There's some people that's just not going to have the same breaks. 
And we have to just make sure we we have to make sure we understand that it's not just okay this person was able to do it. And that's something I tell my students in the middle of class. Like, I don't care if the person next to you gets this concept in five seconds and it takes you a week to get it. Like, it takes you that time and you're going to take your time, you're going to be able to do it. So we can't just look to somebody else and say, well, they were able to do it. Mm -hmm. they, this person did it and all of a sudden we just, we're going to make it happen. Uh, I got to make it happen like that. That's one of the most dangerous things a person can do, not even just in music theory and just life period, is to look at your neighbor and see what they're doing, and then all of a sudden think that you're supposed to be doing that. It's like, no, you are two different people. Now, if you know, like, what you're doing and your lack of being able to do something is based on, like, something that you're doing on purpose to yourself, that's something that's different. If both of you, if you and your neighbor have the same breaks and you get, both of y'all get a million dollars and then somehow you mess it up because of something you, you did or something like that's a different story. But just to be able to say, well, you know, people always bring that up, like, you know, this black person, like Serena Williams, she she was able to go and do be great and, and do what she did. So everybody should be able to have that opportunity. No, you don't it's, even know. My, my cousin Monica, my cousin Monica is a, a tennis player and she was talking to me on the phone. She we were on FaceTime and mm -hmm. she was like, yeah, I don't know if I'm doing tennis like next year. I don't know. Like I kind of want to just focus on my last year. Her dad, like my uncle in the background was like, you're doing tennis because we pay all this money for it so like da, 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 like what we pay all this money for and she was like i don't know <laughs> like for fun she's like yeah. Michael, Michael was like no pay all this money for fun <laughs> she was like bro and it's like you see you see um not 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 my girl that just won the grand slam who's who's the other girl who's really good Sloan Stevens? Sloan Stevens, yeah. Or um, Osaki. Madison Keys? Dang, is that, is that many black girls, period? The yeah. other... Cora? Cora? Whatever. A One, black tennis player? Yeah, black tennis player. She's young. She's like 16 or something. Hmm. Sloan Stevens, she's older than that now. Sloan Stevens, Madison Keys. Oh. There's a the Coco. 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 Oh, Coco Golf. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so yeah, Coco, yeah. Co she was like, he was like, well, Coco. She, I'm like, Uncle Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Just because she did it, y'all are not, y'all are not willing to make the sacrifices that she, that she that her parents made because Coco Monica not going to school at all. <laughs> Monica was like, you realize that I would have been in, if I was gonna go there, I would have been in championships. I would have been. I'm like, she doesn't go to school. Her parents play oodles and oodles of money that you are not willing to pay her parents have access to that stuff and she didn't have access somebody believed in her to get her that access like there are so many layers like and it's like i i, I go back and forth with this idea that because i feel like yes if something someone did do something you can do it too because that's what we get like representation from that's what we get like if, if some a lot of people can't see past the, if i if if i don't see someone like me doing that then then I can't do it too. Like there's that balance of that. And also like, there are reasons why somebody got to where they got. Yeah. So, yeah. But everybody's not going to have those opportunities. Yeah. Like, we can't, and especially when you're talking about marginalized groups that, mm -hmm. you know, that their ancestors went through slavery and Tulsa riots. And every time like progress is being made, people took that away from mm -hmm. them. People that don't have generational wealth in the same way your community does. There's a lot of things there. Does that mean you just make excuses for everything you can't do? 
No, but at the same time, you can't look at a group of people and say, well, they haven't been able to be great yet. You know, slavery ended at this day. Well, no, this, I don't know. This, those my, are, those arguments are dangerous. My mom would have called you stupid. <laughs> talking, about, talking about you barely had nothing to eat, first of all, barely, but you did. And you still got the violin to play for lessons. So the money was there. That's the, the money thing. was exactly. there. Like, yeah. even if you barely had it, it was still there. Like, and there's a lot well, of people, uh, there's a lot of people that would call you stupid for that. Like yeah. my, my mom being one of them. You know, oh, you didn't eat today, but you had your violin lesson? What do you know? Oh, glad we can my mom would have been like, glad we can eat your lessons, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> yum 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 yum. It got to go pot. Right. Yummy. Take a, fork, a fork and knife to your viola. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yummy, yummy. Third position etudes. <laughs> Like, come on, bro. Yeah, so that's that's him. That's what we're dealing with. Those are the people that are working. I mean, obviously not representative of everyone, but the no, fact that not, that he's um, that he's still employed, um, uh, it just it it shows that there's a long way to go. It, it's still employed and has been employed, and who knows how many students have gone through this school and been affected by yeah. someone who has who holds these uh, these beliefs um, in a position of power. Well, his students or students in that apartment, remember that um, they did that open letter. It was like a combination. She that that girl like did the tweets, and she was like, "We're calling for this person to like step down or be or be mm-hmm. fired," and it was like because of racial things in the past as well. Oh, she, I didn't know about that. Yeah, there's a Twitter thread. I'm trying to find it, but there was a, she probably I don't know, but pending like basically like an open letter to to the university to either. It was either to the 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 journal or to the University of Ten- Tennessee, you hear me, University of North mm-hmm. Texas, um, asking them to look into yep, asking them to look into the the journal submission because mm-hmm. you know he put he pasted it together with silly putty, and then also <laughs> asking him to be reviewed himself, and then you know they end up coming back. We just go look at the letter, girl. Yeah, and um, from this, just an update. I mean, he's suing. He's suing a bunch of people for defamation, um, including um, himself. A gra- <laughs> you need to sue yourself for defamation. You're the one who wrote this. <laughs> um, he's suing um, some at least one grad student. He's also suing um, people, members of the board of regents at the University of North Texas. Um, yeah, so he, one of the got, articles, he got time. That's why. He got time. And the lawyer, the lawyer sound like he low on cash. She like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. who else you want to do? Right. Hourly rate, five hundred dollars. Right. Not Rudy Giuliani. She's gonna be right there outside a gas station press conference. <laughs> right. With, oh, with messing with my shanker graphs. Right. <laughs> with blue magic dripping down the side of your forehead. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Oh my gosh. Listen. Um, yeah, so that's happening. I'll link all the stuff that we read or watched in, in relation to this, as well as um the New York Times article that was recently written. It has like the actual like the court case or whatever, mm-hmm. um, like hyperlinked so y'all can see all of that. Um most recently there was another professor who sent a bunch of emails in the middle of the night. We referenced that a little bit to um, another like professor. Alan Cadwallader. Yeah. Who, um, and I'll, I'll link like the tweet or whatever that has a picture of those. He said, he sent this woman three emails, one at like 1045, one at 11 something, one past midnight, about how she knows. Go to bed. <laughs> a grown old man. A grown man. Talking about, you know, nothing. Um, 
Uh, I would love to see a graph of yours. Um, what was the title of the email? What was the title? Of the email? <laughs> no nothing. <laughs> no nothing. I would love. Well, he he a doctor. He got a doctorate with that set construction. I, some people was like, he seemed like he was he was off that perk. Yeah. <laughs> he was leaning. <laughs> he was leaning. Um, that that don't make any sense. Like like at all. Um. So that's kind of where we're at. We're looking to see where um where this lawsuit finna go. Um, I hope it goes nowhere, but uh, I don't see it. Like, I don't, given the fact that you could just read his writing, like, I don't see how somebody <laughs> can take that and be like, okay, these people that you know got mad at it had a response to his response. Like, I don't, I don't see that being able to go anywhere, but then again, like, I don't know. Like, privilege gives you a lot of stuff. Like, so white, seen, white men can do anything. Why should work with two million dollars? Yeah. Like nothing is, is uh, nothing is impossible when it comes to that stuff. Like, yeah, especially over the last four years, I've seen that. Like, they can do. We've already said that. Like, they can be very much mediocre and be able to get away with a lot of that mediocrity. But for this thing, like, it can go either way, and I won't. I'll be. I I think it'll be a bad thing for him to win any of these lawsuits, but they seem very much meritless, and I don't see them going anywhere. But, I'm gonna go see where he got his PhD at since they're just giving him out. Let me go get one. Right, Dr. Harris one. next week. Right. Next week, y'all hear from me? I'm they about to have a drive through too because of COVID. I think, yeah. one of the, <laughs> I think one of the uh, things that people do need to consider, though, is that uh, there's a lot of Tim Jacksons out there that aren't talking like that in mm-hmm. public. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of people. I'm not gonna say the whole theory world at large, uh, right? Because there are a lot like, of people that that are on Dr. Ewell's side and coming coming to his defense. There's a lot of people. Um, I don't know if they did it outwardly or something. I know some of the students at Eastman they wanted to they, they penned a a, a, yeah. a letter to the faculty and just like a, a kind of same thing, an open letter like denouncing a lot of this stuff because Eastman is like up there. It's like that's the, why I was like Eastman don't want to talk about this because uh Yeah. In <laughs> terms of the students the too. Like they not only just the faculty members, like the students is known like you go if you go and get a theory degree, like Eastman is Eastman. like one of the top schools you would go to. It's like Eastman, Indiana, Florida State, some other schools that you would go to to get a uh, a theory PhD, like the top one. So the students knowing that we are in this field like that, many of our professors are, you know, um big names in the theory world yeah they they wrote a letter and they uh they sent it to me just so i could see what it was and everything and i even told them like i'm not gonna put my name on it not because like i disagree with of course i agree with these things like i've been saying a lot of stuff like i had a student after this stuff happened over the summer um and they saw the youtube video and they sent me something uh like emails like lol like you've been this was what you was talking about like a few years ago and I'm like, yeah, I've been trying, I've been saying this stuff, but at the same time, I got to admit, like, I haven't been saying it, like, why, like, it hasn't been something that I've been saying widely, you know, um, it's been something that I'll bring up, it's just, you know, um, but yeah, anyway, so it's a lot of people out there that aren't saying anything within the theory world, they, and they are really, like, proponents of these ideas that uh, Tim, uh, Tim Jackson is putting forth. And that's the that's probably going to be the more problematic aspect of a lot of the stuff that's going on, because they're the same people that's going to believe like, all right, let me just bring in a few extra black examples or something is we, we got to keep saying it's not just about 
diversifying the examples. We got to think, rethink the way this stuff is being made. If somebody grows up in the black community, they're not they're, the way their music is constructed is not going to embody this sort of framework all the time. But this idea of just bringing in um, more black people into the field, there's nothing wrong with a black person wanting to study music theory in this traditional sort of way. If they want to be able to learn classical music, I, I love classical music. If people want to be able to go ahead and do that, then go ahead. But I can say, at least for myself, theory didn't become meaningful to me and it's something I tell my students. It didn't become really meaningful to me until I started to think about how music works in other cultures outside of classical music. Now, even outside of just like looking at jazz through a classical music lens, it didn't really work. But they've had things where they tried to do it. Like, um, I don't know if this happened before we did it, but back in 2017, uh, they had a a like a theory sort of, uh, at the theory conference the national conference it was in like dc that year uh really it was in like a hotel in alexandria but dc and they had this uh it wasn't a workshop but it was uh like a special session on diversifying music theory and so they brought in people like me and other people and like our professors the pipeline that's what it was like diversifying music theory through the pipeline and setting up like sort of like these goalposts and you know, looking at people who are doing music theory on the bachelor's level, master's level, PhD level, people who have gotten jobs, all this stuff like that. So it was me. Uh, the professor was Elia Sama. She was somebody that represented that PhD to um, to job sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, then it was me for like master's PhD. And Lisa Reed, she was the uh, bachelor to um, master's one. So they had us sit there and talk, and all of our professors came. So my professor from Howard came, and uh, the other people, their professors came to show, like, okay, like, just to talk about diversifying everything. And I remember, like, leaving that, because it was, like, a real good talk. Like, my professor, Anthony Randolph from Howard, he, like, gave a real, real powerful talk. He Like, he had people tearing up in that joint, because, like, he, the way he speaks is like an orator, like a black orator. So he gave a real powerful talk. But like to just sum up my view of it, it was like I was appreciative of the fact that they were trying to at least like start that type of discussion. But I remember leaving thinking like, I'm not sure where we go from here. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not sure what the field is actually going to look like, because I felt just like uh, it felt more like I was like just this outsider coming into this thing as opposed to being like the way I had always kind of felt just about music period, like I'm just participating in it. Now I feel like I'm going into it. And the idea I had was kind of like what Harry Belafonte said about um, a conversation he had with uh, Martin Luther King, like just before he died. And he said they were sitting there, they were talking and he noticed he kind of looked like, you know, he wasn't really all the way there with himself. He kind of looked like he was uh, in in another place. And he said like, yo, like what's wrong? He don't talk like that, but he was just like, what's wrong? And that quote from MLK you might have heard is like he feels like he's integrating his people into a burning house. And that's how I feel when people say, do you want to, uh, like, how do you feel about like other people coming in and doing the exact same thing we're doing right now in music theory? And I can't really justify that right now. Mm-hmm. I can't I can't like in good conscience tell somebody to come in if they're trying to learn this stuff. Um, and it's not just classical like I. I don't know what this, like I said, what this thing looks like uh, in the long term. If we keep going down the road we're doing now, but yeah, there, I would advise uh, people that 
read the stuff to really like look at it in depth don't just like say okay music theory is racist because somebody else said it because i think that's the tendency with a lot of social justice movements people just latch on to something um there's a lot of problematic aspects in like i said either stuff gonna have to drastically change or we'll have to tweak things and re-examine it but some of the, some of the backlash i see against it, I see people just like yeah music theory sucks it's like yeah you don't understand it in undergrad and now somebody says racist and then you you like yeah that's why it's bad because it's racist. It's like, nah, you just didn't understand it. But um, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it's like that's what I'm just saying. It's like let's just make sure we don't you know Especially get into there's like actual reasoning behind what Dr. Yule said. Like yeah. there there are reasons like to critique it that are that are actually like rooted in um in things that have actually uh you know occurred. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think the the analogy with linguistics is actually very uh very uh accurate because like you know I did me a little linguistic analysis a little one two in college mm-hmm. and like a lot of people ask linguists like how many languages languages do you speak and you really don't need to learn how to know any other language to mm-hmm. to study linguistics like you just study it's the science of language it don't, you don't need to know how to speak another language but mm-hmm. you know. Regardless, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of reading and, and extra stuff. So I'm gonna link all of our like sources and stuff. Yeah, that linguistics thing. Maybe just one last thing about that, because like that that was a pro, and that's kind of still be is still a problem within like uh, when we talk about uh, the American discourse around language. When we talk about this notion of standard American English, and like how we say something, like the way we talk to each other, like like when she, uh, Tiffany had to say she ready. And then somebody else would come along and say, okay, she's speaking Ebonic, she's not speaking the right way. She's supposed to say she is ready. And it's this, is like the notion of like black speak, this Ebonics or whatever people want to call it, like as if it's not a language in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And we don't know what we're talking about when we talk to each other. So you hear like a group of people at Sphinx talking and they, you know, they're using like the uh, black uh, African-American vernacular English. And that it took uh, it took a long time for people to even acknowledge or at least be able to say, okay, this is a thing, and it's not deficient. Um, it's just different from the other things. So um, when people come along and say, well, you're not saying this right, you're not doing this, is kind of like what Schenker's theory is saying is like, well, if it doesn't fit this model, then somehow it's a deviation, some deformation of what's going on. It's like, no, it's just it's different, and it's okay. Uh, the problem now, what we have to, what we're tasked with as theorists and just as scholars, people, uh, musicians. Is trying to figure out a way to be able to teach people how to make music, how to analyze music in a way that does not leave out other cultures, but also leaves room uh, for people to really come to their own conclusions and being able to learn um, without this like heavy thing over their head that says everything has to look like this. Go ahead and um, do what they did back in the day. Make your own school, the Desinor School. Like school right, of thought. Right. Start with a, you gotta still start with a book at least. We about to be doing Desinordian. Uh, right, Desinordian <laughs> analysis. <laughs> All right, y'all. So grab y'all fruit snacks and bananas. <laughs> <laughs> it could be a journal or anything. I'm about to start the journal of Desinordian analysis. Right, De- <laughs> journal of Desinordian analysis. Right, everything Very is in good. the shape of a of a <laughs> peanut jar. Right, <laughs> all of music, it's like peanuts. If y'all are, y'all get it, Richard. Only eats a handful of things: peanuts, bananas, fruit snacks, chipotle, and broccoli, and chipotle. 
Candy oh, corn. And, and candy corn. I was about to say candy corn. <laughs> yes, you already know. <laughs> candy corn up there. And every every aspect of music can be broken down into them seven things. <laughs> there we go. Right now, we'll see it in ten. We'll see in like ten years. Hell yeah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh wait, no, no, no! We, oh, and newly you condiments now? Hmm. We we condiments now? No. Richard, Disgusting. come yeah. on, man! I, I don't I understand it. If you if you're eating a dish, the okay. dish should be Can good without the condiments. Go. But it if makes it better. To, if, but if you need to put ketchup on it, or it's, uh, or else it's un, uh, inedible, then it's not good. <laughs> okay. Good with the ketchup. It's it's yeah. <laughs> nah, what what about without it? It's also good. Okay then. But it's better. No, it's not. It's disgusting. Ketchup nah. stinks. Buffalo sauce stinks. Uh, Buffalo sauce does disgusting. stink, but it's delicious. No. no. I don't know why. Like for real. Uh, for some reason, buffalo uh, sauce, uh, out of all the condiments, that one, for some reason, it makes me think of, like, a it's time good. in my childhood when I felt bad. I don't know why. Okay. <laughs> like, for real, I associate, <laughs> I associate the smell of buffalo sauce. And it wasn't like I had a somebody, bad childhood or something like that. Somebody whooped Richard after he ate some buffalo. Right. <laughs> it was something. I don't if know he what went it the is. Kitchen, like, he I went. feel like a kid, like, when I smell it, I, it's like it brings me back to, like, like my childhood and seeing that. Like, I remember someone gave us, like, all these things there. I don't remember what time it was, but, like I said, it's not associated with, like, a, a bad event. It was just, like, I can remember, like, being sad that day or something like that. I didn't like it. I didn't like the way it smelled, but I associate that smell with that. So, yeah. no wild. condiments. Meanwhile, whole time it was two o'clock in the morning. Six-year-old Richard was drinking a bottle of buffalo sauce in the kitchen. His mama came and found him. Now, what I used to drink when I was little, I would put. This is nasty, but I put milk. Like I would drink milk with sugar. I don't know why. Oh, I used to do that. that. Okay, good. So great. (laughs) Not all three of us. (laughs) You put. You know, I used to do. You put the condensed because we used to have like you know my grandma used to put like condensed milk and teas. You put the little Mm -hmm. condensed milk and you mix that up. I ain't never tried that. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, we can't even ask Richard where we can find him because the answer's nowhere. So, so. <laughs> no, you just no. gotta know Richard. So, I mean, yep. I, sometimes I shop at Target. So if you see me in there, all right. Just, so, so. <laughs> I'm in there sometime in Costco. Sometimes, come on, Costco uh, membership. Yeah, well, it's got really, the one of your sponsorships, huh? I'm, I'm, you got the one of your sponsorships, brand new. It's my sponsorship. Yes, I'm gonna catch you one day. You gonna slip up and be like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm gonna catch you Richard, one day. Richard could have Richard could have a YouTube channel. Come on. I probably I probably could I told y'all though, I I love the concept of anonymity. Come on, turn in the corner away. I like do it. Anonymity. You can do it in a ski mask. You can be the ski mask music theorist. I got one of the Lucha Libre uh masks from the Mexican wrestlers. I could wear one of them joints. I got Please one. Please don't. <laughs> I'm telling you, just wear that joint. It came with my uh natural Libre DVD. So I'll just I'll put that joint. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to do this one But nah, I was thinking oh, about that. Like you know, Ariel, she'd be telling me like, you know, you start like this thing. Uh, like I could talk about music theory or something like that on YouTube or Instagram or something like that. But one, I don't feel like keeping up with that. I'll be seeing people in some comments on like I'll be looking at tech videos and stuff, and I'll see somebody in the comments. They'll be like. Yeah, this person you haven't been posting in a while. It's been two weeks. Like that's no, a long time. I don't. That's the thing for me. It's like I'm the type of dude. Like I'm a black dude that don't like getting his haircut every week. Like 
I don't like certain things like that. So I'm not about to be sitting there talking about like, yeah, I got to post this. Like I commend people that are able to do that because that's your profession. Like that's something that you do. That's something you're into. Like, yeah, y'all make sure you put out a video each week, do everything like that. I don't have the patience for that. Cause I might just be like, yeah, I don't feel like posting for a couple months. And then yeah. now people I'm losing followers yeah. and I won't get my paycheck from YouTube no more. And nah. But I mean, some people do. If you get big enough, you can do whatever you want. But that was a I girl, hate those people. Uh, um, yeah, it's irritating. But there's a uh, one that I that I follow, and she said she she's a fashion blogger, and she would like because she said her some her fashion is more summer. You know, she's like I would just disappear in the winter months. Now it wasn't her full time job. She was mm-hmm. a doctor, so she was like also she like did not have to be doing any of this. But she actually mm-hmm. quit her job as a doctor and now she she pulls on doing whatever she wants to do. Because you know, YouTube is definitely paying her more than doctor. <laughs> you if you in your bag, how much you think how, she was making in thirty K when she was yep. a doctor from YouTube in addition to her doctor salary? I was like, girl. Thirty K a month? No idea. No. I'm telling That's you. a lot for just posting. Yeah, for a side, <laughs> for a yeah. side thing on top All of me making six is... figures as a doctor. Yeah. Say James Charles. Ain't no way James Charles making any less than 100k a month. Ain't no freaking way. Who's that? James Charles. He's a he's a beauty guru. So he's young too. He's like 20 something, like 20, like young 20s. He can't be that. Oh, young. that was that the dude that was saying stuff about uh, Kanye or something. Or that... How you hear about that? This is when I was pull it up Kanye? New... You know, that's the issue for me when I pull up news. I start to see stuff like that, and I'm like, is this news? Was it Kanye? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't remember if that was James Charles. I'm not going to speak on that. I don't remember if that was James Charles. But yeah, James Charles, I, I really like James Charles, but I, I'm, I don't want to say that out loud because he's going, every once in a while, he just falls into something. No, it, maybe it was Kanye, but he was in something with, like, Asian Doll or something, like some random tiff with Asian Doll. Like, just make YouTube videos and beach face. That's all you have to do. Um, but J. Charles is so big that even if he fell with the black people, like, yeah, he would still be supported. Like, he has 20 million YouTube subscribers. Damn. That's like, crazy. he, J. Charles could never make another video again, and his other videos probably would carry him for, for a good amount of time for making, like, making money doing that. He would post a video in, like, an hour later, it has, like, a million views. Nah. I, I don't know. I mean, you could, you don't have to... Do a, my first three YouTube videos, I beat my face and I haven't done it since because I couldn't keep up with it. I was like, I'm gonna put some eyebrows on and I'm gonna soup my edges. Also, you set your own schedule, to, it depends if you want to make more stuff. Like, yeah, you know, like Katie said that's a long time, but it's like some people do if that's all that they can do, and yeah, it just true. is what it is, you know. Because if people yeah. like your stuff, one of my, my favorite YouTubers, she hasn't posted anything in like months. I still, if she posts a video, I would be pissed, but I watch it. <laughs> <laughs> the problem I have, but the problem I have with Sophia, are you talking about Sophia? Mm-hmm. It's because I'm okay. I try to be, I try to be understanding because Alyssa actually another beauty guru. She went a long time without posting too. I sympathize with Alyssa because she was going through some some dark stuff. So I was like, girl, you know, we here for you, Alyssa. Look, Alyssa Ashley. Like we always be in the comments like, hey, girl. But Sophia, I know she be going through it too. But yeah, she wrote that, a whole long thing about it. That behavior was like that was present before she started, you know what I'm saying? And it's like they do that because they know they can. Sophia is hugely popular. So like so now it's like she was going through all that stuff and it's like, dang, I'm sorry, sis. You know, but before the panorama, before all that, like you can do that, that because was a part of it. It was, you know it was her editing it. process and her, her production process was part of what she was going through. And she said it had been going on for a very long time. 
Mm. It wasn't just the, the pandemic. Yeah. But anyway, know. off topic. <laughs> I don't know. I just kind of like not her annoying. specifically, but it's annoying because it's like you do it because you. I don't know. Cause people want people want to support you, mm. and when you when you know your stuff is gonna get views anyway, so you can you'll still make money. That's kind of like that kind of sucks. But whatever. Yeah. yeah. I can't see. I don't know what I was doing. What I'd be doing if I was making millions of dollars on YouTube. So millions. Wow. I don't, what like, a I don't even care about money anyway. So you, and which is exactly why you should do it and donate it to your friends at Classic Black. Yeah. Sure. That's true. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. That absolutely playing. <laughs> now you bring the bands. Here you go. We even do. Here's 20 bands. Just made it cuz. <laughs> uh, my peanuts were $5, so y'all can't. <laughs> just, just give me some fruit snacks. <laughs> Basically. That's what I'd be doing now. Like, if people, I, if I know they don't have the money, like, if somebody asks me for, like, a help with a project or something like that, I'm like, don't pay me. And if they insist on it, I'd be like, just give me fruit snacks. So, it works. Well, Richard, thank you for joining us. Yeah. Also, if you're a member of ISBM, you should join anyway because it's free as long as you're black. Emphasis on that because we had some confusion um, with that last month. But, um, yeah, Richard will be giving a talk on Neo Soul on the 13th of, of March. <clears throat> yes. So, and if you haven't heard Richard's first episode, he was on episode 18. So, if you want to get to know about, you know about that? Richard's, that's one of my favorite episodes as well. Do you look it up? No, I, I know that number. I know some of my oh, favorite Oh, you also episodes. edited it. That's probably why. Yeah, and I just want to... If someone asks me for episodes of, of Classic Back to recommend, that's one of the ones that I, that I will say. I remember us doing it because we were in yeah. my kitchen for like 12 hours. Yeah. I remember <laughs> us there. I can see it now, but I don't yeah. know what number that was. I thought mm-hmm. I was going to get like 20. Mm-hmm. 20 was Jasmine. No, it wasn't. Never mind. Anyway, all right. <laughs> <laughs> we're moving on? Mm-hmm. Cool. All right, y'all, it's time for Black Excellence, where we hype you up, gas you up, and give you your props, because there's room for everyone at the top. This week, I'm talking about Amanda Ewing, and I actually don't know a lot about her, but what I do know is that she is a Black woman who is a luthier apprentice. Um, She's from Nashville. She worked in corporate America, and then she approached um, this guy, this violin maker named Ray DeMio, and she was like, oh, you know, I used to play violin. I want to, like, you, like show me how to make a violin and he was like why don't you just make your own or whatever and so that's what she's been doing so he's she is his apprentice and they work together and she was just explaining the process and stuff I thought that was really cool because there are no black luthiers no black or if that's incorrect someone correct me because I would love to be corrected um there are no black women uh luthiers so I thought that was really exciting I'll go ahead and link the BBC um video and stuff about her so you can hit her up but this is really cool um and yeah she's over here building her violin and they work like hours and hours and hours a day together and yeah they they like best friends and stuff it's it's, it's real cute um so yeah that's my black excellence all right um my piece of the week um i'm totally gonna butcher the name of the piece because it's an italian but um i think it's a-I-G-M-I mama sorry about that y'all don't know any Italian but um this is a um a piece um by Verdi and the particular recording that I'm linking is sang by Antoine Hodge 
Um, I'm linking this particular recording because uh, Antoine Hodge, he's a bass baritone and he recently passed away from uh, COVID-19 um, after, after you know, dealing with it and suffering from it for, for two months. Um, so I'm just going to talk a little bit about about him he was a a rising star in the opera world he had a tons of leading roles the atlanta opera um, central city opera opera colorado uh, regina opera company colorado springs philharmonic um many many others and i'll link a little bit about about who he was um he recently in the 2019 2020 season made his metropolitan opera debut um in porgy and bess um so yeah, I just wanted to to give that a little bit of um a little bit of of shine, you know, talk a little bit about who he was and give you guys a chance to hear his voice. Um so yeah, that's my my piece this week. Period. Sorry to hear that. I feel like like you you when you texted me like you did we talk about him before? I don't I when I saw his name it sounded familiar. Um, yeah, cause someone was talking about how a friend of theirs passed away, mm-hmm. um, and she was an, an opera singer and I was like, that name sounds familiar mm-hmm. and we might have, we might have talked about him before. Mm-hmm. So, well, thank you so much for listening to Classically Black Podcast. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Classically Black Podcast. If you have a piece of the week suggestion, a black excellence suggestion or intermission suggestion, send us to Classically Black Podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to check us out at classicallyblackpodcast.com. If you're a black musician, you should consider joining ISBM. It is free. That's the International Society for Black Musicians. Check us out at isblackmusicians.com and follow us on social media across all platforms at isblackmusicians. And we will catch y'all next week. Bye, y'all. Bye.